Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 6, 2023, including... Sega says they'd rather stay single in response to word of Xbox's interest in acquiring them. Xbox is officially coming to Gamescom 2023 in August. X-Rare developers speak on the future of Banjo-Kazooie and much more. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, just 13 years ago, Crackdown 2 was released for the Xbox 360. Crackdown 2 is the one where, well, no, that's not true. Crackdown was the one everyone cared about because of the Halo 3 demo. Crackdown 2 was it was just the sequel. Crackdown 2 is actually the one people genuinely like kind of liked, right? And then Crackdown 3, obviously, we all know how that went just a couple of years ago. Uh, they just made that game come out, even though it wasn't meant to be in. I don't know. I, I don't have a. I don't have a good experience with Crackdown. I, I barely played any of Crackdown one or two, and then I tried tried really hard to appreciate Crackdown three. That whole franchise just never did it for me. Although, I do like the marketing for the third game with Terry Crews because who doesn't like Terry Crews? But uh, yeah, Crackdown. That's one of those Xbox games. I'd be lying if I said, oh yeah, I li- I'm a real Xbox fan. I like Crackdown because I uh, I just don't care. That's just glorified access key to Halo three uh, demo. Anyway, guys, welcome to episode 214 of the Xbox On podcast. A little bit bummed out because I was very confident just leaning on the word of people much smarter than me who were saying that, you know, probably going to get an update, a final verdict on this injunction, you know, from the from the federal court regarding the FTC versus Microsoft. And, uh, well, that, that didn't happen. We were expecting that sometime earlier this week, maybe we'd, we'd get that final word. Now, I understand, you know, in the U.S., it's a big federal holiday week with 4th of July on this past Tuesday. And so, you know, everyone probably was off a little bit on Tuesday and things like that. So maybe it pushed something like this to the back of the week. But I was expecting this news, hopefully, by Wednesday at the latest so that I could record this podcast with the, with the word. Hey, guys, the deal got the injunction got granted, which means Xbox is probably going to pull out of the deal and pay the $3 billion kill fee and walk away from Activision. Or, guys, uh, the injunction was not granted, and now basically Microsoft has the right to just the ability to just go ahead and basically finalize this purchase and just make it happen if, if, if they so choose. So we'll see that happen next month. But we don't know which way it's going to, the wind's going to blow. And I really should stop talking like this because there's a very, very, very good chance. In fact, there's a probably like a 94% chance that. By the time this show goes live tomorrow, Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, the 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 verdict will be rendered, and this show will just be entirely outdated. I'm taking a huge risk in, in even doing the show just due to that simple fact that 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 will be no doubt a huge story. It's just I I just what, what am I going to do? Delay the whole show in hopes that you know the the courts have a have a verdict to render tomorrow. I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't make sense. So. We're just going to keep rolling with the punches. We still have plenty of news to get to. It's just, ah, man, it's going to be such a, such a, such a 
kicking the balls if that news comes out in like 12 hours. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. It's gonna. It's all going to work out. We got plenty of good shit to talk about as we uh, already teased at the top of the show. But guys, welcome to episode 214 of Xbox. I feel like this is the first week where we can kind of go back into our normal rigmarole. We do have some good news, but it's not such an overwhelming boatload of news that that we just can't possibly get the show under three hours or something like that. It's just a normal normal week of Xbox on. It's been a while since we've had one of those, just you know, due to the past couple of weeks being crazy between the FTC thing and the showcase and a lot of fun news, a lot of good news, but yeah, it's been a lot of lengthy, girthy, really girthy episodes of Xbox on. And there's only so much girth I know you guys can handle. So for that reason, I'm proud to say I'm elated to tell you we got ourselves a normal show here in terms of the amount of news to get to, the uh, immediacy in which these stories pertain to what's going on in the world. You know, we don't got any fucking Phil Spencer's about to about to fucking uh, eat a whole Jolly Rancher without without even uh, wait. Jolly Ranchers are hard candies. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just scratch all that. Let's move on with our lives. No, no cute beating around the bush. We're just gonna get straight into it, guys. Starting with. A notable game releases of the week to which I wrote, meh, because while this year so far has been a killer year for game releases, there's nothing coming out this week that's really like I need to tell the folks at home about this game coming out. So we got nothing really to talk about there, but quick little activation update before we get into the main news where we have some more substantial ones. I do just want to pass off that um, South Africa is the latest nation to uh, unconditionally approve the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal. It doesn't really mean much of anything in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, yet another country has uh, has given the old thumbs up, although we're mostly concerned with what happens here in the U.S., and then we'll, we'll worry about the British later. Uh, still, another, another little victory, if you want to count that as such. For the old uh, Microsoft buying Activision deal, if that's where you are on that, if that's something you're hoping happens, I think for most of us, we're just hoping for... The deal would be over whether it happens or not. We're just waiting for it to be over. So, okay, th- thank you, South Africa. You've broken the silence. The FTC right now are shaken. They don't know what to do because you're really undermining them if they choose against this or if they choose to go for this injunction because, well, now you're just really making them look like the bad guys. So, damn you, South Africa. Guys, let's talk about not corrections because we have none. I'm uh, incredible, impeccable, nothing to correct. Sorry, uh, I had to stop for a second. My neighbor's dogs are flipping the fuck out because I think they just dis- I think they just became cognizant, like self-aware. Like these dogs just snapped out of their stupid tiny brains, being like, "I want to eat, I want to eat." There's a squirrel I want to eat, and just became aware, like, "Oh my god, I'm alive, and I think, and one day I will die, and everyone I love will die." And now they're freaking the fuck out because they are burdened with uh, with knowledge. So sucks for them but uh we'll keep trucking on hopefully you guys don't hear it maybe it's not breaking through the mic but um so let's move on to our stories and all amusements updates starting off with a a big one although not too much to say about it as of now but xbox and bethesda will officially be attending gamescom 2023 it has been announced as of today this wednesday as i'm recording it no further details have been given they just announced it via twitter but gamescom will run from august 23rd to 27th and um in uh, Cologne, Germany, as always. And uh, the Gamescom opening night live event will kick off the showcase, hosted by Jeff Keighley, the guy that does the Summit Game Fest and Game Awards. That will return on August 22nd to kick off the whole week-long event. Xbox and Bethesda's largest releases of 2023 were, will, of course, be Starfield and Forza Motorsport. 
in uh, Starfield itself will be launching just a couple weeks. I think two weeks after after the Summer Game Fest, or sorry, Summer Game Fest after Gamescom commences. So obviously, you can expect to see a little bit of Starfield there. Um, the other big game, Forza, will be releasing about a month later in October. So expect to see both of those games present at Gamescom. Now, it's important to note that they're not saying like, hey. We're doing a showcase at Gamescom like they used to do back in the day. It seems more like they're just saying, we'll we'll be in attendance. You know, we'll have our games playable on the showroom floor, or we'll be there in some way to kind of like show up and represent. That doesn't really surprise me because it seems like Xbox always shows up to Gamescom. And really all these kinds of big event, events, they're very, uh, of all of the big three, Nintendo, Sony, or yeah, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, Xbox does seem to be the one that is the most like, uh, the most involved with like all the fan events and all the big conventions, and even when they don't have something to announce or reveal or show off, they just, they just like to be there and be in attendance. So this doesn't surprise me necessarily that they're going to be there. So I'm not going to make much of this. I don't think that this this means like, hey guys, uh, if you were uh, if you were a little disheartened by the weak gameplay showing a fable, or if you're really hoping that maybe we get an, another gameplay look at, at Avowed or something like that, I wouldn't, you know, don't hold your breath. I don't think this is going to be anything like that. I think it's just simply, hey, Xbox is going to be in attendance at Gamescom. They'll probably have freaking Starfield and some DLC for Sea of Thieves or some shit on, on the showroom floor for people to get their hands on. It's basically just a way of saying, like, hey, we're here. Don't forget about us. We're present. We're always in attendance. You know, we can't we can't leave your mind. We can't leave the minds of gamers because we don't uh, we don't allow you to not think of us, basically, is what that is. Whereas PlayStation takes pretty much the opposite tact. But they're a little more cool, confident, and maybe even cocky, where they're just like, yeah, we don't need to be at Gamescom. Fuck that. So they, they'll be... Just the opposite, nowhere to be seen in attendance. But, you know, all they got going on this year is Spider-Man, which, while being an absolute massive game, will basically just do its own thing. You know, they don't really need to be in Gamescom to get everyone to want to play the new Spider-Man game. So, I, I guess somewhat of a bit of a different situation, but I, you could really argue Starfield's one of those games, too, where they don't need to show up two weeks before the game comes out at Gamescom to, like, as one more marketing push. Starfield's going to do what it's going to do, regardless of... Uh, Gamescom or not, so I don't know. I think this is just Xbox's kind of identity and part of their culture is to just kind of be a part of all these events and and be seen and heard. So I'm not expecting anything to really come of this, but it is important to note we will pay attention, of course, because who who the fuck knows? Maybe they do have something to say. Maybe like, hey, we're buying Sega. Here's Halo Wars three, and oh yeah, Sonic is 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 uh, quitting the Olympic Games. He's actually going to be in the X Games now. So slap on your knee pads, grab a grab a deck, and shred the pipe with Tony Hawk, uh, you motherfuckers. Sonic at the fucking X Games. Why not? So who knows? That'd be cool. Uh, all right, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. That's right. There's aren't not, never enough Assassin's Creed games, but according to VGC, or actually originally Kotaku sources, Ubisoft has started to develop a, a remake of the popular Assassin's Creed entry Black Flag. Uh, the sources at Kotaku claim that the remake of the 2013 cross-gen Xbox 360 game is currently in the earliest stages of development and will be completed in a few years. A team at Ubisoft Singapore, one of the studios that worked on Black Flag, specifically its boating gameplay, those are the guys now working on uh, Skull and Bones, will reportedly be heavily involved in, in helping modernize the game. I'm sure they can use the 47 years of experience they've gotten off Skull and Bones to maybe help, uh, you know, lead some lend lend some some development assistance to this game. 
Uh, publisher Ubisoft is currently doubling down on the biggest franchise. This year's Assassin's Creed Mirage is one of the six upcoming Assassin's Creed games discussed during the product showcase last year. The next flagship entry in the series Mirage uh, is Mirage, and then we get codenamed Red and Hex, and those will be released as part of a new Assassin's Creed Infinity franchise hub. We talked about Assassin's Creed Infinity basically being this hub, this this uh, platform for Assassin's Creed as content gets added to the game over the years, so that's going to be just fucking awesome. I love how there was one time when Kotaku was like, hey, we're uh, milking Assassin's Creed like crazy. We need to take a break. And then they took like 75 minutes off. And they were like, okay, here's like seven brand new open world humongous Assassin's Creed games that shake up the formula and uh, are overwhelming and daunting with content. And then that happened. And then they're like, okay, now fuck you. Here's like 75 more classic Assassin's Creed games, whatever. You'll buy it. So uh, I guess I still technically can't speak to it. I think Black Flag is the only Assassin's Creed game I ever tried to play, and I maybe got 20, 22 minutes into the game before I was just like, you know what? It's never going to be meant to be, so I did not play Assassin's Creed Black Flag uh, or really any Assassin's Creed for that matter. So I'm not necessarily qualified to speak on it, but I just... Assassin's Creed is one of the video game franchises that makes me the most exhausted, and I say that as a Call of Duty fan, so it must mean nothing, but... Speaking of things that are making people exhausted, let's talk about Baldur's Gate, a game, Baldur's Gate, a game that's uh, still not confirmed for Xbox, but they're trying hard to get it there, and that's getting Xbox fans super sweaty and pissed off. So Baldur's Gate 3 still coming to Xbox as they as they promised, but it may require compromises to get there, according to the boss of developer Larian. Uh, speaking of IGN, founder and creative director Sven 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 Vinke. Ugh. Also, I was asked uh, why the game is coming to PC in August, PS5 in September, but still doesn't have an Xbox release date. And according to him, he says, the issue lies with Microsoft's policy that requires games to have the same gameplay features on Series X and S. While the Series S has uh, lower resolutions, often frame rate or a lower level of detail, this is considered acceptable by Microsoft given it's less powerful than the Series X. However, when it isn't considered acceptable is the removal of other features, so the games must be on content parity. The issue then is, as confirmed by the studio back in February when this issue was initially brought up, is that the split-screen co-op mode runs perfectly on the Series X, but is struggling on the Series S, the $300 less powerful Series S. The team is reportedly hesitant to, res to remove split-screen altogether from the game, therefore making the Xbox Series X version of the game less feature-rich than the PS5 game. Uh, but Microsoft's policy also means that it cannot just remove the Series S version and keep the Series X version altogether. So it's either all or nothing, as the policy goes, which I, I understand because, you, you know, you break the rule for one and it starts getting more serious and everyone starts breaking the rule and uh, it starts really hindering the sales of your more popular system. So I get why Microsoft has that rule, but continuing on. Team of, um, no, explaining the complexity of the co-op mode, Vinky uh, explains, quote, you're very free to do what you want to do more free than people expect. This means that you can run into a really big city that's much more dense than people expect. You can do all kinds of craziness, requires lots of optimization. On certain platforms, we're just faster than on other platforms, and it takes us that time. That's the reality of development. It's not that we planned this. Our plan was to have... Well, what we wanted to have was a simultaneous release, but we've been on the game for a long time. It's a really big game. The amount of things you can do is insane, and the people will be surprised when they see everything. There are constraints that we have to overcome, so we just work on them. Some take more time than other. 
He also conceded that ultimately it may have been some compromises made to release the Xbox version, but chose not to go into further detail as to what they were. He did, however, say that Microsoft was doing the very best to help with the situation, saying, quote, we've certainly had support from Microsoft. We had support from ATG Group. We've been doing great. They've been helping a lot. Everybody wants to help out at Xbox. It's not that they don't want it on the Xbox. It's just that our problem, and this is us as a developer, Larian, is that we just made a very big game, and it's not very complicated, and it's a very complicated game. So I don't know. I know people have a lot to say about this deal. I actually don't about this ongoing concern that gets risen every every couple months about series s just being inferior and underpowered and kind of holding the stable of consoles back personally it just seems like this keeps happening when when it comes to like co-op related things only ever when it comes to co-op related things batman halo infinite maybe depending on you know who's reporting you believe on what went wrong with that co-op mode uh, baldur's gate 3 it's just like this fucking co-op thing that just keeps kind of holding everything back and I don't mean to say, like, oh, the Series S is blameless, Microsoft is blameless, this console's awesome. I think the Series S is awesome. I love the Series S, but I don't know, man. I just think the the multiple, the multiple co-op thing is it's just kind of silly. And I understand, it. from Microsoft's perspective, it's like um, it's a blunder if they have to have this narrative of, like, it's not two of the same console, one's more powerful than the other, but they all do the same thing and play the same games. It's like there's a lot of research you have to do if it gets down to the part where it's like, well, the Series S is $300 less, but it has lower resolution, lower frame rate sometimes, but uh, it also doesn't have a disk drive, and some games have certain features that only work on the Series X, while some games uh, don't have any compromises whatsoever. And then you have all this like double explaining and marketing to do, and it's just it really muddies down the conversation. I think they're worried about what that would clearly do to the Series S, which is the bigger seller of the two, because a cheaper entry-level model is always going to sell better than a more premium $500 model of any hardware. That's always how it goes with every kind of piece of tech. So I understand Microsoft's desire to have there be that console parity, but it seems like clearly they there are developers out there that are having issues. It seems like most developers aren't. I mean, we see some really technical games running on the Series S. I know Starfield isn't out yet, but Starfield is a game that, for all intents and purposes, we understand is running just fine on Series S. And, you know, that's a very complicated and big game. Uh, I mean, Halo Infinite runs like a fucking charm on Series S. We got big open world games like freaking um, Cyberpunk and things like this that run well on Series S. And I guess, again, it just comes down to this whole, like, maybe RAM type situation of, like, I don't even know if it's a, it's, it can't even be a RAM thing. I don't know. I don't know enough about hardware to really say, but it's whatever whatever processing issue or, or power issue comes into play when you want to do this multiplayer, this split screen, this co-op multiplayer, it just kind of breaks the fuck out of everything because this this co-op, it's like, who the fuck who the fuck is looking for co-op here? But uh, it just it constantly becomes this this feature that is hindering the Series S and making it look weak and underpowered and and, and kind of like a waste of money in the eyes of certain people, at least in these diehard fans. So I don't I really don't know what the solution to this is. Obviously, if Microsoft allows their developers to nix the content parity, then then they run into the issue where they might promote and facilitate lazy development where certain things don't don't happen because because developers are lazy or they're time constrained and they don't necessarily want to you know fight for the series s because it's just it's more trouble than it's worth so maybe the 
you know, response should be for Microsoft to have some kind of appeal system where every game has to run on content parity, and if you can't get it there, you have to appeal to Microsoft as to why you can't in order to get it on the on the platform at all. And if they deem that you you tried every effort and that you exhausted your options and that it doesn't seem like it's going to work, maybe then they give special approvals to certain games so that this doesn't become a trend, but then still becomes an issue in general. You know, you don't want that problem where like grandma buys a fucking xbox series s for little johnny and then little johnny can't play the game he wants to play because co-op doesn't work on the on the little small xbox only works on the big xbox so again it's they're just trying to avoid that headache and just have this parody across the board but i don't i don't know man i wonder almost if they could lean on like cloud or maybe it's like oh if you're going to use the split screen or co-op mode you have to be connected online and there's like a, a like a, a stream assisted mode where you can like stream additional power to help run that mode or something like that. Although that's a little bit of a, you know, a tech heavy, super specific and complicated way of working around this, you know, and to ex- expect that third party developers who are also making games for PC and PS5 and all that. It's, it's, it's a lot to ask. So there are a lot of potential solutions, but I just, I really don't know what the proper solution is this is obviously at the end of the day xbox's problem because playstation is clearly not having this issue pc isn't having this issue only series s is having this issue so it's microsoft's problem and uh it's not a great look for the brand that's like the most powerful gaming hardware in, in you know out there on the market although they don't claim that to be the case with the series s it just i think by way it kind of makes xbox as a whole look a little cheaper and underpowered and inelegant so it, it is microsoft's problem this to sort out and to figure out and i think they they need to come up with something because we're still pretty early on in the Xbox series generation. And this, this problem, I, you know, we can all assume is only going to get it worse and worse as more of these games try to come out and do this crazy shit. Like there's a, there's been a lot of rumors and speculation that maybe Avowed will be a, a co-op game or a multiplayer game or a game you can play together. And you know, what kind of trouble are they going to run into if that ends up being the case with the series S. But then at the same time, there's these other games where it's like, I feel like some games are showing that, it's not a big deal. And some of these developers just can't figure out this fucking hardware. So I don't know. There's a million angles on this shit, but it, it, it seems abundantly clear that uh, you guys got to grow up. Stop playing these little split screen co-op games because it's not 2003 anymore. It's not cute. Be a normal person. Don't, don't interface with the outside world. Put on your headphones, listen to a podcast and game alone. Like a normal, well-adjusted human being like me. Thank you very much. Uh, one more quick one. Gematsu had a good scoop uh, last week, actually. The Game Ratings and Administration Committee of Korea published a new rating for Red Dead Redemption uh, for uh, back on June 15th. So the new rating classification system they use includes the NV number, which is or, or a code classification code, which is usually used to refer to console games that have been submitted for ratings. Um, so Red Dead Redemption, the game that originally launched for the Xbox 360 back in May 18th, 2010, was uh, later brought to PC with a remastered version and the game got some good DLC. But beyond that, the game never really came out to modern hardware with the exception of the Xbox 360 version of the game. It has Xbox series enhancements as that like automatic frame rate boost and stuff like that. So it does look and run a little better if you play the game via backwards compatibility on your Xbox series console. But there's never been a proper remaster or anything like that. So while developer Rockstar Games has not announced a remaster or verified anything, uh, you know, this could indicate that this is happening, which is more than likely. Usually when things get rated, especially it seems like the Korean uh, ratings boards where this happens more often than not, 
usually means something's happening. I mean, you don't submit a game for rating certification if you don't have something coming. And I feel like this is kind of a no-brainer. It's a nice little holdover while we wait for GT6, while we wait for the future Red Dead. A remaster of Red Dead Redemption could be a good one. Uh, it's such a beautiful game. It's such a cinematic and, and great story uh, experience that, you know, you might want to keep this game fresh and updated. Although, for Xbox fans, it's a little less of a hassle trying to experience this game in a really acceptable format because it looks and runs pretty well and is very accessible on series consoles as opposed to like PlayStation where you have to go bust out a fucking PS3 and hope to God it works and God knows it's not going to. So on Xbox, we don't have a need for this as badly as they do on maybe other platforms, but it would be nice to have, you know, we didn't necessarily need Dead Space Remake, but we got in people like it, you know, we don't necessarily need Alan Wake remastered, but it's nice and we have it. So I, I see it as kind of one of those things where it will be a welcome addition and Man, this would be a great jumping on point for people who maybe were too young back in 2010 or just never had the interest back then. But if you have not played Red Dead Redemption, do not skip one for the other. Play both of them. Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2 in that order. These games are so, so fucking good. Probably Red Dead Redemption 2 especially. I'd probably say the best best Xbox One game if we're just talking about the whole package. Like if, we're, if I could only recommend one game you experience from the Xbox One generation... It's definitely on the top five for sure, but might even be the number one game I think you should experience. It's just, it's that good. But you got to play Red Dead Redemption 1 first because I think it just furthers how good the second one is. And also Red Dead Redemption 1 is phenomenal. It still holds up beautifully. I only played it for the first time like five years ago. So I'm speaking from personal experience that it, it, it held up years and years after it came out. So. Play Red Dead Redemption. Uh, don't go to prom. Don't don't ever ask a girl out on a date. Don't even don't even bother wasting your time with the opposite sex or anything like that. I need you to play Red Dead Redemption, make a career out of it, and become a real man. Speaking of real men, we're gonna move into the new, new the real the real news, the full news uh, segment now. But before we do that, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a I'm going to take a minute to talk about the games I've been playing, the awesome epic video games I've been indulging in in my free time, of which I don't have much because you guys know me. I'm always busting out new beats on, on Fruit Loop Studios, on FL Studios. I'm usually at the gym pumping mass mad iron. This iron is so mad at me. Uh, I'm generally doing a lot of very intensive masculine activities like this, but when I do have free time in between, you know, fucking saving babies out of trees and, and bench pressing small small uh, Toyota cars from the 90s, I, I, I generally I play a little bit of video games here, and I dabble in the Xbox variety, so we'll get into the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about that, i got to tell you first about what I've been eating, and guys, we're going to have to back it up a little bit because I just realized while I was writing Xbox on notes the other night, I was thinking, what am I going to put for what I've been eating, you know? And I realized, holy shit, I didn't talk about the thing I ate when I went to Detroit, Michigan a couple weeks back. I, did, I, I failed to mention the whole, the whole reason why I was even in Detroit. Yes, it was not my sister's wedding. Who gives a shit about that? I was there because I had the unique opportunity to experience Detroit-style pizza, but not just any Detroit-style pizza. I had the opportunity to try buddy's pizza which is the specific restaurant that is credited with being the birthplace of the detroit style pizza so let me explain for those who maybe aren't super familiar but detroit style pizza is a it's a it's a type of pizza that is known for being this like deep dish uh like it has like a it's like a deep puffy pizza dough 
with like a crusty outer shell. Usually it's like the, the cheese kind of bakes over a little bit onto the sides and you get like that kind of crusty kind of almost like burnt cheese kind of cr- crunch on the on the outer part of the pizza. It's usually baked in like a square sheet, like a rectangular sheet. And then you cut the slices into, sh- in, into squares, almost like a Sicilian slice um, or something like that. I don't know. I, I people make a huge deal out of Detroit pizza, but I got I got to be honest, man. I don't think the the crux of Detroit pizza. I don't think like like it's 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 uh it's, it's the premise of Detroit pizza. I should say is all that like special or or like much of like a wow factor, especially like if you're a just typical American who grew up in not Michigan, because we're all you know as as and actually you don't even have to be American because. I'm going to talk about Pizza Hut, a brand of pizza that is so is so uh, is so ubiquitous that I'm sure most people listening, despite whatever country you may reside in or be from, uh, might be familiar with Pizza Hut. And I feel like no one ever talks about this, but that 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 deep dish pizza style that that the default pizza style that that uh, Pizza Hut does is basically a fast food riff off of. A Detroit style pizza anyway where you, you know you get the soft doughy kind of like fluffy doughy kind of square pizza slices super oily pan ba- you know pan yeah pan baked and then you get like the crispy cheesy kind of edge thing like that's it's basically just Pizza Hut like I feel like no one ever acknowledges that but Pizza Hut is just basically like what if we made Detroit pizza a really popular fast food restaurant you know but anyway so it's not like I don't know I feel, I feel like no one ever points that out that Pizza Hut's basically just Detroit pizza dumbed down into fast food form. But um, I just feel like because of that, because of the pure ubiquity of pizza, it's like everyone's familiar with Detroit style pizza, right? So that in and of itself, I felt like, you know, this isn't a huge deal. This isn't like if I went to Italy and I was going to go eat a bunch of uh, Neapolitan style pizza, you know, which is objectively the best pizza. I'm sorry, New York. I'm sorry to everyone who wants to act like New York has the best pizza. A Neapolitan Italian pizza is by far the best pizza. I understand it's a little bougie sometimes. Maybe you want something a little trashier, a little more fun. I get that. I respect that. I feel that sometimes. But a Neapolitan pizza is, is by far the best pizza in the world. But, you know, there there's a whole gamut. You can get, like, the shitty uh, generic chain not New York pizza, which I love. You can get the fast food pizza, like the Domino's Pizza Hut, Papa John's, which I love. You can get a nice New York slice, which I love. And by the way, it's it's called pizza. It's not called pie. So don't fucking try to lie to us and say it's pie. Pie has fucking berries in it, and it's a dessert. So stop being a moron and call it pizza. Uh, so whatever. I, I'm, I'm rambling here. But the thing is, I have a lot to say about pizza. And now I have a lot to say about Detroit pizza. And in this unique situation, while I was in Detroit, Michigan, for 24 hours, I had the unique opportunity to try the birthplace of Detroit-style pizza, Buddy's Pizza. And uh, now I've kind of set the stage by rambling about a little bit about what I'm trying to say and a little bit about nothing. Let me just say, um, finally having, and I say finally, like almost in air quotes, because it's not like this is something I've been waiting for all my life. Finally having had Detroit style pizza, I must say that this is nothing special. Uh, with all sincerity, I, I was in Detroit, not by my own, uh, uh, not not on my own free will. I was kind of coerced into being in Detroit, and you know they always say is that if you're gonna have to, if you're gonna be forced to go somewhere you don't want to go, you might as well eat the local pizza. So that's what I did. And I gotta be honest, I, I go there. My my family's been in Detroit for like the better part of the week, 
And everyone in my family has been raving, oh, when you get here on Friday or whatever, you got to try Buddy's Pizza. It's the birthplace of the Detroit pizza. Okay. I'm like, whatever. Fucking light Stouffer's. I don't give a shit. And we get to this restaurant, and I got to be honest, I'm just so severely underwhelmed by everything. The atmosphere, just the just the kind of dead air, the presentation of the menu, what's on the menu, especially outside the realm of pizzas, everything we ate there. It's just, it's like, I feel like I could go to any town in America, go to any generic pizza chain restaurant or Italian restaurant, the sauce tastes like the sauce, the pizza tastes like the pizza, the the meatballs taste like the meatballs, like it all just tasted like generic Americans who want to be Italians doing Italian food, the Americanized Italian New York style food, like it just, it just tastes like some kind of like amalgamation of all the Americans trying to think about what Italian food is shoved into one menu that's a little bit of like a sports bar vibe and just be like, blah, here's the fucking buddy's pizza. It's Detroit style. Fuck you. Eat it. And, uh, I, the, the thing is, it's like we, my girlfriend and I, we, we tried, what did we get? We had one that had like, you know, it's like regular, regular pizza. It had like fucking the pepperonis, but we, we like the Supreme style pizza. So they had like a little bit of sausage, a little bit of pepperoni, some peppers, some onions, some mushrooms. I like to load it up with veggies and meat. So we try one of those styles and my takeaway is like, this is pretty good. You know, if I was home in Florida and there was a place like 10 minutes down the road that sold this pizza, I'd be like, Hey, this place is all right. I think I'll try it out again in the future. Maybe it's good, but it wasn't like, Oh my God, I've been to Detroit. I've had Detroit style pizza. There's no going back. I'm a born again pizza virgin. I eat, I eat Detroit style pizza all the time. My my takeaway was like, this pizza tastes exactly like what I expect this pizza would taste like. If you showed me a picture of this pizza, and I had to, and, and, and I knew I've never had this pizza in my life, but I have to use all the experiences of eating other pizza in my entire life to try and. And try and come up with some like synthetic representation in my brain about what this pizza will taste like when I do actually have the real thing. It ends up tasting exactly like that. Like every, exactly what it looks like it tastes like is exactly what this pizza tastes like. It is it is good? It is not great. It is worth the asking price of the money, but it is worth nothing more. It is not worth going out of your way to experience. It is not like some religious experience where you got to, if you're pizza aficionado, you got to make sure at some point in your life, you make it out to Detroit, Michigan. So you can go to buddy's pizza home of the original Detroit pizza and give it a go. It's not that at all. If you're an OG pizza fan, I understand there might be places in New York. There might be places in Italy. There might be places in, I don't know, Florida where you got to go out of your way to have, this pizza or that pizza. Maybe you go to the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, so you can try a Disney pizza available at any of the select 27-plus Disney Resort hotels. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's where I go to get pizza sometimes on the weekends. Maybe. But this place, Buddy's Pizza, downtown Detroit, Michigan, you're not bad, but you're not it either. Also, while we're at it, probably pissing people off if anyone's from Detroit listening. I've had the tavern style pizza. I feel like that's a pizza that's really been like coming to prominence in recent years. The bar food tavern style pizza, which I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, also originates from Chicago. So not only does Chicago get credited with the Chicago deep dish style pizza, which, by the way, side note, separate conversation, another kind of underwhelming, not that special kind of pizza. It's really not. It's fine, but like I would never choose that over any other type of pizza. Uh, Chicago, I think, is also credited with the with the creation of the tavern style pizza, if I'm not mistaken. And 
I, I, I'll be honest, this may be a controversial take. I like the tavern-style pizza. It's kind of like a little more like a cracker crust, borderline like flatbread more than pizza. I think I think tavern-style pizza is good shit. It's a, it's a good opportunity for your toppings, for your sauce and your, and your cheese and your toppings to really shine above your dough. And sometimes that's that's hard to do because sometimes, you know, dough's important. Dough's incredibly important. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, sometimes I feel like people can hide a shitty cheese or a shitty sauce behind like a really doughy pizza and crack you know that cracker style tavern pizza is kind of like i don't know it's, it's there's like less room for error and i feel like it's just kind of like it doesn't make you feel as shitty when you eat it you kind of focus on the parts that you're more interested anyway which is like the cheese and the toppings so shout out to the the tavern style pizza but again at the end of the day if we're talking about the true king of pizza i personally think pizza's at its best when it's trying to either be top tier like artistic italian style neapolitan pizza or pizza's at its best when it's trying to be bottom of the barrel i can't believe how good it is for four dollars and 93 cents kind of shitty like little caesar's pizza like i think i think those are kind of the sweet spots for pizzas when it's trying to be beautifully elegant and just horribly trashy but when you're when you're in that mid-range i think that's where pizza kind of loses me and like i don't get me wrong i like new york pizza just fine i, I understand for the most for most people new york pizza is probably where it's at in, in their opinion that's great i've been to new york i've eaten pizza in new york it's good it's good shit i i think new york pizza and then like local pizza chains all around the country and stuff i think that stuff kind of call it falls in that like middle of the road you know when people say like you know, pizza is like bad pizza is still good and good pizza is great. That's kind of where that stuff falls in, in line for me. It's like the majority is like local mom and pop pizza shops or New York style pizzas where I'm just like, they mostly all kind of taste the same and they're good and they're all serviceable. And I've never had one that I hate, but none of them are particularly like memorable. I'd much rather have like Domino's $5 fucking, you know, it's bad pizza, but it tastes unique. Kind of like McDonald's does with the burger. Or just, like, fucking beautiful, like, maybe, like, one of those, like, hippie California-style pizzas where it's, like, we put fucking grilled chicken and avocado and arugula and salad dressing all on this piece of pizza, like, and bacon bits and stuff. I love that shit, man. I used to work at California Pizza Kitchen back in college. I love that stuff so much. The fucking, like, Jamaican jerk chicken pizza and, and uh, I don't know, like, spinach and artichoke dip pizza. And, like, I, I, I think that, that stuff's crazy. Like, Wolfgang Puck with his freaking, like, um like smoked salmon pizza with the fucking uh, the salmon caviar and that I I'd much rather have something like exotic and fun and ridiculous and fancy and overpriced like that or just something really trashy like hungry howies but you know this Detroit style pizza New York style pizza you guys can spend all day long in your fucking football jerseys with your seven coats on because you have god awful winters and these terrible cities that are wind tunnels and you just want to fucking kill yourself but you live in the city so you instead you go to work in an office or whatever the fuck you do and you can brag all day long about how your pizza's better here or oh, I take Sal's over Giovanni's or whatever the fuck you kind of little arguments you guys want to have in your little in your little city areas but I'm going to take that guido italian ass shit or that corporate america cardboard crust because that shit, that shit's what dreams are made of. So there's my pizza rant for the week. Uh, Detroit, Michigan, a lovely city. I enjoyed Detroit all, all like 23 and a half hours I was there. It's a, it's a beautiful city. It's a fun city. It's dirty and old like most American cities. It has god-awful trash public transportation, and just it's a shining example of how our government is fucking failing us at every fucking turn. But, you know, it's a beautiful city for what it is. It's got some nice little hipster bars and restaurants. And uh, Detroit pizza, 
Maybe you should go down to the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. Head on over to the Pop Century value-themed resort for families of all ages and try a Disney pizza. It might be glorified DiGiorno, but it also is fucking Disney magic and worth all $21. So, all right, that's it for what I've been eating. And if you're still laughing, if you're not totally pissed off, if you're not some fucking, uh, I don't know, New York Giants fan or some person from up north who's just pissed off because I said New York pizzas and all that, you're still listening. Let's talk about the games I've been playing this week. Okay. I had one of those weeks again where, you know, it's like, the I want to play a little bit of this. No, I want to play a little bit of that. Okay, now I'm in the mood for this shit. No, I'm in the mood for Can't stick with the game. Or I thought that was the case until Sunday evening where I found a game that uh, I've been putting off for a long time. And unfortunately, I ran out of places to hide. And now it's found me and it's got its hooks deep in me. But we'll get there. We'll get there. So real quick. Lies of P, the demo for Lies of P has been out uh, for like two weeks now or something like that. The game comes out in September. It's a a day one Game Pass game. Good get for Game Pass. This is the game that was revealed actually I think last year at Gamescom, speaking of Gamescom. And I want to love this game because I love this like gothic, like Pinocchio, like dark, mature rated Pinocchio thing they're doing. But it's like Dark Souls. It's it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's kind of cool. It's kind of creepy. It's very fun. I really like the aesthetic and the tone of these Liza P's trailer, P trailers that we've been getting. But um, I tried this game based on the demo. And thank God there's a demo. Uh, because I'm like, maybe this will be the Souls game to finally get me in the door. Maybe it just, I keep trying these games. So far, my favorite one I've played, I think, has been Wo Long Fallen Dynasty. But this is the one I'm, I'm trying. I really want this to be the one that sticks. Uh, I played this Surge a couple weeks back. Now let's see how Liza P does for me. Uh, I made it about... Seven minutes and 14 seconds into the Liza P demo before I said, nope. And I just deleted it. I didn't even like exit out and say, maybe later. Maybe I'll feel in the mood later. I literally just, I pressed pause, immediately went into my Xbox, deleted the demo and said, I don't fucking care. I'm done with this shit. And I was like, you know what? I got to stop trying to get into these Souls games. I know myself. I need to embrace the person I am. I like Call of Duty. Maybe it makes me look a little bit lame as a gamer. Maybe it makes me lose some of my Xbox gamer cred. I don't know. But I like games where you you dress up like the military guy and you shoot the guns and the the bad guys go dead on the floor. So I re-downloaded a game that I bought maybe five or six years ago, did not connect with, and then came tried to come back to this weekend. So I said, all right, Ghost Recon Wildlands. I see you sitting there in my library. I know I got about three hours deep into you last time and maybe like 2018 or whatever when I tried to play it. Let's give this one another go. Let's see how this... Because I, I constantly see both Ghost Recon Wildlands and Ghost Recon Breakpoint on sale every other fucking week on the Xbox store. And every time I come across these games, I forget that I have Wildlands in my library, I forget that I bought the game and I always look through the photos on the Xbox store, like on the, on the, the games listing. And I'm like, God, this game looks so freaking cool. I want to love this game. And then I download it. And for like the first 30 minutes, every time I swear, it's like the third time I tried to play this game. Every time I try to play this game, it's like, Oh, the first 30 minutes are awesome. This game's so cool. This game's awesome. It's like a little bit like Far Cry, and it's like Call of Duty, and it's like Ghost Recon, and it's like The Division, but it's Tom Clancy, and it's badass, and I'm badass, and then like 31 minutes into the game, I'm like, this game's so fucking boring, dude. It's just another open world Far Cry type thing, but you're supposed to play it multiplayer, but I play it alone, and it makes it less fun, and, and then I just delete the game, so... Ghost Recon Wildlands, I had yet another experience with you where I downloaded you, realized you're not the game for me, deleted you, 
the game looks great. And Breakpoint looks even better, but I know that Breakpoint is just going to feel like more of Wildlands, which is why I've never pulled the trigger even when it is on sale for like $7 because I'm like, I'm just, I'm just not taking the risk. So Ghost Recon Wildlands, you're not it. Liza P, you are not it. Okay, new game. This game's been sitting in my library for a couple months. It was on EA Play. Uh, it's It just came into Game Pass recently. Let's fucking give it a go. I love racing games. Need for Speed Unbound, let's do it. So I boot up Need for Speed Unbound instantly. I like the kind of like cartoony, cel-shaded, graffiti art little flair they do onto this otherwise somewhat realistic looking world. It's very fun. It's very cool. And I appreciate the fact that they try to do a story mode in Need for Speed games these days. So I'm like, all right, let's do some Need for Speed Unbound. Realize very quickly this is just like, hey, you guys know how the storytelling in Fast and Furious is brain dead? Um, what if we make that look smart by making a Need for Speed game that's like Fast and Furious but even more brain dead? So immediately I get scared off by that. I, I played like maybe 45 minutes of Need for Speed Unbound. The racing feels great. You know, the crash mechanics is cool. It's made by Criterion, so shout out to Burnout. I, I see the, the the history there and all that. But, uh, nope, I, uh, I, I I played 45 minutes. I'm like, these. Th- this game is pretty. I like a lot of the artistic flair it has. I don't like the human characters at all. They all, they, they all make me want to hurt myself. The music sucks. This game is over. I'm done with it. So I just deleted Need for Speed Unbound. It's not technically a bad game at all. I think, in fact, if I had literally nothing else to play and I was forced to play Need for Speed Unbound, I think I'd get pretty into it and have a good time. But in a world where I could just spend my racing time playing Forza Horizon, why the fuck would I play Need for Speed Unbound? So deleted that. No disrespect, but it's just no, no, no. I got I got better things to do, and I realized you know what I'm doing. Liza P, Ghost Recon, Need for Speed Unbound. I'm just running like Need for Speed. I'm lying to my the the P of myself, and I'm ghosting my recon. The true feelings of my Ghost Recon, which is which is that there are games in my backlog. That like how slick that was. <laughs> Uh, there are games in my backlog, and I think we all feel this way about certain games in our backlog, where I know I need to get to this game because I know I'm going to like it, but I'm just scared of starting it. I'm scared of that commitment of pulling the trigger. And, and the real situation I found myself in right now is that Starfield's coming out at the very beginning of September, and I'm so excited to play that game day one. But I got like two months to kill between now and then, and I'm trying to find a game that will hold me over until then, like a game or two to play that I can enjoy, like I did with Alan Wake, and get me to Starfield, but a game that's not going to suck me in too much. And that's why I was really hesitant about starting this last game. But I started it, and now there's no turning back, because officially, after almost a full year of me saying, I'm dialing this game, I'm about to play it, I cannot wait, finally it's on Xbox, we're going to do this thing, motherfucker. I'm finally playing Persona 5 Royal, Finally, finally, finally. So uh, this game's been sitting on my Xbox dashboard for like a billion years, and we hit go on it this week. And honestly, I I was never 100% certain that I'd like Persona 5, but I knew I needed to give the game a try. I thought, 50-50 chance. I might like this game a lot. I might not, but I definitely want to have some hands-on experience with Persona because I feel like it's one of those games where I need to have... I need to be versed in what this game is all about. I just too many people I respect the opinions of rant and rave about these games. Too many people out there in general just rant and rave about these games. And also, I'm a Sega fanboy, dude. Atlas is a is is, is a Sega team. Sega owns Sonic. Sonic is my spirit animal. 
Um, sometimes when I'm alone in a dark, crowded room, I put my hands behind my torso and I and I pretend I'm running really, really fast and no one can see me. Maybe if they look really closely, they see a blue, like a little blue flashing light or a blur maybe even, but they don't know it's me because I'm secretly Sonic and that's how I feel deep down inside. So I owe it to myself to try Persona 5 because in a strange way, uh, it is Sonic. So I boot up Persona 5 for the first time. And all I know about these games is Japanese role-playing game, turn-based mechanics. Everyone loves the music. It's going to get stuck in your head. And uh, it's very, like, artistic and flary and weird. And it's got, like, this dating sim, high school, like, life sim bullshit on top of being a traditional JRPG. So, on paper, this game really shouldn't work for me. Maybe than other just the mu- other than maybe just the music or maybe some of, like, the, the teenage school life shit. But I don't know. Let's see. I'm open-minded. Let's just finally try it. Um, I am three and a half. I'm about four hours into Persona 5 Royal at this point. And I got to be honest, I love Persona 5 Royal. This game is really, really good. It got its it, it got its hooks in me almost instantly. It was like 20 minutes of like, what is this all about? And then after the quick intro, I'm like, no, no, no. I love this game. It's taking it real slow. You this little this little Japanese boy. You get moved over to this new school. You got in trouble. People don't know why you got in trouble. You're not a bad boy. You just fell into some bad trouble. You're kind of like Sandman from Spider-Man 3. It's a whole thing. And then you, you live in this this cafe on the upper floor and you get the, the room and you go to the new school and everyone's spreading rumors about you because they think you're a bad boy, but you're not a bad boy. You just, you just fell into some hard times. And so you got the persona and you fall into the dungeon and the, your teacher's maybe a bad guy. Maybe he's abusing some volleyball school students. I don't know. Maybe he's sexually harassing one of the female students. I don't know. We're about to find out though. We're about to fight him in a dungeon and there's weird jack-o'-lantern creatures and, and, and they float like little lanterns and that's weird it's kind of my girlfriend said it looks kind of like kingdom hearts i don't disagree with her it's a it's japanese from top to bottom but you know what i love the game 90 percent of the game is just dialogue it's just you know i got the game in japanese with the english subtitles so it, the audio of the game is like 80 percent good music and 20 percent like every Japanese game you've ever played, Zelda included, you fucking know it, Nintendo fans, you know you're secretly weeaboos in training because Link makes all the grunting anime sounds. And so Persona 5 Royal is doing it for me. And the thing I love about this game is I was a- I was able to bump it down to easy mode, and not all JRPGs have difficulty selectors, so shout out for that. And uh, also, the game just basically lets you take your hands off the combat. If you're like me and you don't like turn-based role-playing combat... And you're like, I'm really invested in the world. I'm really invested in like the dating sim, life sim, relationship management aspect of this game. And I'm really interested in the story and the moment to moment, like exploration of the game. I'm into all of that, but I'm not into the fighting monsters and leveling up my character and getting my skills buffed and nerfed and all that bullshit. If you're if that if you're like me and you're into that, this game totally caters to you because you can be like, hey, I just want you to auto battle. I actually I actually want all my uh, all of my party members to kind of just manage their own shit and not ask me to help them at any point in time I actually kind of want the game to just be easy and so you can kind of make the combat like that which is what I'm doing because I don't give a shit about turn-based role-playing which is part of why I'm so attracted to a lot of modern Japanese role-playing games because so many of them are moving away from turn-based and into more of like an action more like Kingdom Hearts style combat system which for as much as I absolutely despise the Kingdom Hearts franchise I gotta admit the the combat it does it for me. It's fun. So I see like these new Final Fantasy games that kind of have that style combat as well. And I like that shit. So the only hang up I have with Persona is I, I don't necessarily want to get into this combat. And the game lets me just basically walk right over that and enjoy everything else the game has to offer. And it's 
it's doing such a good job of keeping me hooked because I think the combat might have been enough to pull me out if I had to do it like old school Final Fantasy, if I had to sit there while my characters shake back and forth in place like a goddamn Pokemon game and I had to choose my nerf and then I had to watch three seven-second-long animations of a character like fucking putting like a weird energy drain on themselves and then they then they, then they spit a poison seed in my face and then my guy just takes a random punch seven times in a row. and I, I can't stand that shit, man. It's why like, I used to love Pokemon until I was like 18 years old. It's why I can't play Pokemon anymore. It's like I just... I've lost the patience. I've officially gotten so ADD that if you if you ask me to sit here and watch these fucking little weeby Japanese games with the turn-based combat, I'm just going to fucking off myself. So thankfully, Persona 5 lets you skip all that boring nonsense. And not only do I have to not really engage with the, do I not have to engage with the actual combat itself, but every time you finish a battle in this game, it plays this post-battle music, which is just so fucking catchy. It's been in my head nonstop for 72 hours. There's about four songs in this. I'm four hours into the game, and there are four songs already about that are just constantly stuck in my head. So, yes, very much what everyone says. The music in this game is phenomenal. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say so far. I'm, I'm loving it. But there is there is one downside to Persona 5. I'm loving the, the stuff with the, the sim stuff. I got this friend. There's these girls. I can kind of see which one like I want to develop relationships with and see if I want to maybe pursue one of them romantically. It's very it's very weeby. It's very Japanese. And, you know, we're running up and down the school. We're looking for volleyball students. We're trying to learn more about this teacher who we suspect is a is an abuser. It's very it's very Japanese. No one wants to speak about it. They all want to keep the abuse to themselves. They don't want to be the cause of concern. But you know something's going on. But here's my problem with the game. Here's why I'm starting to get a little nervous. I get about two hours into this game. I'm like, this shit's good. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, but do you think I'm going to have it in me to dump dozens of hours into Persona 5 and then shift gears cleanly into pers- into uh, Starfield in September when that comes out? Or is- have I taken on too much you know, a lot more than I can chew. And so I was like, I'm pretty sure I checked once persona five. If I'm not mistaken, is like a 45, 50 hour game. Right. So I go to my favorite website that isn't called VGC. It's called how long to beat.com. And I type in persona five Royal and I'm like, how long, you know, it's a website that tells you how long a game is based on aggregated play time of, of users. And, um, I, I, for some reason I had it in my head that persona five is like maybe a 50 hour game, which to me is dreadfully long. And uh, no, I was wrong. In fact, the average play time for Persona 5 isn't 50 hours, you silly, stupid bitch. Uh, Persona 5's average play time is about 102 hours. So I'm trying to come to terms right now with the fact that I like Persona 5. I'm having a very fun time playing it. But I might have to admit that this is going to be one of those games where I play 10, 20 hours, have a lot of fun with it. And then feel comfortable at some point in time just putting it down and saying, that's enough of that. I'd like to see where the story goes. I'd like to see more of this game. But some of us had better things to do than spend 100 fucking hours trying to romance a digital 15-year-old Japanese girl. So I don't I don't know what to say to that other than I'm nervous that I will not see this game through the end because I do not like starting, especially narrative-based games, knowing that I will not finish them. But... I'm also so invested in what I have experienced so far that I'm I'm here for the ride. Persona 5, you got me strapped in on this roller coaster. Now fucking press the big old red button and let's go up this lift hill and go up and down these drops, twists, corkscrews and loops of uh that that we that, of this Japanese love coaster we've we've in, that we've embarked on. So 
Persona 5, shout out to you. Ghost Recon Wildlands, suck it. Need for Speed Unbound, suck it. Lies of P, more like Lies of Penis. That was a very creative joke. And uh, guys, that's it for what I've been playing this week. Thank you for listening. I guess now we can get into the actual news, which we will do uh, in uh, in about three seconds. Okay, so let's start with um, basically this week we have some like carryover stories from the FTC versus Microsoft stuff from last week. So a couple more stories that trickled out shortly after I recorded last week, as well as uh, like one thing that happened this week. But really, the big thing we're waiting on is the final either approval or dismissal of this injunction, which will basically determine everything. So again, by the time you're listening to this podcast, that may have already happened, and that will really seal the seal the deal or or um, or you know blow blow a hole through the whole thing and basically end this this Microsoft's attempt at acquiring Activision Blizzard. So we should know a whole lot more real soon. My guess is that Thursday, Friday, or Monday, probably Thursday or Friday, uh, we should know more about this. So whatever, we'll make the most of it. We still got some other really good stuff to talk about, including um including these FTC updates, Sega's talking some shit, Banjo Kazooie. So let's just jump into it. So keeping with the FTC stuff real quick. So from the from VGC's retelling of the of the situation microsoft ceo claims he'd love to get rid of console exclusivity entirely if he had the capability to do so sachi nadella ceo of microsoft was given evidence last wednesday during the microsoft court case against the u.s federal trade commission which he's seeking to block xbox's maker the xbox maker's 69 billion dollar activision deal nadella said that during the nine and a half years in charge of microsoft it has been his philosophy to make software available in as many platforms as possible saying quote I grew up in a company that always believed in software that it should run in as many platforms as possible, and that's just the Microsoft I grew up in, and I believe in that, he said. If asked if he's aware that Xbox has some games that are exclusive to its console, Nadella claimed that this is necessary for Microsoft to compete in a play playing field dictated by its dominant rival, Sony. If it's up to me, quote, I wouldn't love to get rid of, the, uh, sorry, I would love to get rid of this entirely, the sort of exclusives on consoles, but that's not for me to define especially as a lower share player in the console market. That is that the dominant player therefore has defined the market competition using exclusives. And so this is the world we live in. He added, I have no love for that world. So a little bit, this is, this is cute, right? Cause this is a little bit of like playing into what Microsoft kind of did this whole, this whole trial, which is kind of like rolling over a little bit and being like, Oh, I know we're this big company, but you know, like the Xbox brand, not the Microsoft entity, but the Microsoft, the Xbox brand is very meek. It's very small. It's always been in a distant third place relative to Nintendo and PlayStation. So like we're just struggling, you know, and basically what he's saying is in order to, be a part of the game at all to be in the console space you have to play the game set forth by the competition which he's not wrong about it it is true xbox would not exist if it weren't for fill in the blank everyone says it in unison halo halo is the killer app the console exclusive for the xbox that put the brand on the map no doubt everyone agrees okay end of discussion and that wouldn't you know microsoft needed something like that because well nintendo's got Mario and Zelda and Kirby and all the other shit they got and PlayStation had well at the time honestly PlayStation didn't really become an excellent first party platform really until probably like the PS3 years but they had exclusive games they had Spyro they had Crash they had stuff like that they had Metal Gear Solid they had they had games and, and some of them were really notable and really great and they were also just a great place to play especially during like the PS1 era because discs were far cheaper than cartridges which was a great upper hand against the N64 and, and, and such their console is just more cost effective. It was, you know, it was a, and all in all these other details that end up 
helping propel PlayStation to this, you know, into this situation it got put in or it put itself in or, you know, the status it propelled itself into, I should say. Um, so, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a little bit Microsoft being like, well, see, Sony set forth this game, this 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 playing field where the only way to compete is to have killer apps that the other brands don't have, which is kind of true. But it's like Sony didn't create that space. Sony jumped into this mid game just like you did Xbox. This is a game set forth by other manufacturers. Atari was doing the shit and, and whatnot. And then it really became a thing with Nintendo versus Sega. That's like where it really hit off with the exclusivity battle. So, like, I don't know, man, I, I would say Sega or Sony is just just as is just as innocent and guilty as you are because they jumped in and followed the model that Nintendo and Sega really rivaled against for years and years when they jumped in with the PS1 in the 90s and then you did the same thing in the early 2000s with the Xbox so it's a little bit of like what he's saying isn't wrong but the way he's presenting the information makes it seem like Sony again are these big bad guys and meek little Microsoft needs to be like looked after or or kind of pitied upon in a little bit and given this pass to spend 69 billion dollars to get Activision so it's just it, this is a lot of like how Microsoft's word tracking kind of goes throughout this case and you can't blame them because obviously you got to do what you got to do to to win your case and to do the thing you're trying to do but at the same time it's like we we who are all moderately educated on what's going on here in, in the realm of gaming and who have any kind of you know finger on the pulse of like what xbox versus playstation we all know damn well it's like okay microsoft's not some meek little little uh little victim or anything like that and and, and they are just as guilty as playstation as playing this hand and i don't know man like they xbox has had killer exclusives in the past and they will continue to do so like i don't know like starfield um so it's a little disingenuous the way he's uh saying it but at the same time i don't I don't necessarily doubt that that's what Satya Nadella and what maybe many at Microsoft want, many shareholders want, is a world where the Xbox platform and ecosystem can be readjusted in such a way where it's not based on killer apps that sell specific hardware so that you can win market share over the competition, but rather you have services and software that are so killer that people want to subscribe to and engage with your platform and your services, and that's how you can get your software out there. And so. I get it. They, Microsoft does want the future they're shooting for, they're vying for with Game Pass and with uh, trying to get Game Pass on the more platforms and with cloud streaming does technically in a way read more in line with like Microsoft as a whole's kind of philosophy of yes, getting more software on more platforms because that is kind of the ultimate end of, end of the end of the road for what they're trying to do with Xbox is build it to a place where sure the Xbox console exists, but if we could get Game Pass on iPhone and Android and Windows PC and Mac OS and PlayStation and Nintendo consoles and everything. And you could just anything with a processor and a screen and an internet card can connect to the service and be a, be an Xbox device. Of course they want that. They'll let you play Halo on a fucking toaster if that's the case. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of like playing, playing the specific wording and the situation, the question and the scenario to their advantage to make them look a little like they, the only way to compete is to, is to play the game, which is true, but also, they've helped sustain and perpetuate the rule set that has been set forth long before Xbox and PlayStation ever hit the scene. It's a little silly, but they were kind of we were talking about it a little bit as it was happening last week during the recording. But now, now we got a little time to sit with the quote, and that's where Satya Nadella kind of held on. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt Microsoft would love to get all their software on all the platforms because that would be great for them because having their games played by tons and tons of people across all the platforms out there is more lucrative than having a fraction of the people play those games, but they have to buy a three or $500 box in order to gain access. So 
yeah, they want you subscribed. They want you on all devices because that mobile and PC market is a lot bigger than the console market, as we uh, will see more of in a little bit here. Um, next up, so last week we talked about how the court filings, some of the documents showed that Microsoft had a huge list of publishers, developers they were really interested in maybe trying to court or acquire. And the most notable one perhaps was Sega, a publisher that has a long history with Microsoft, would actually make a lot of sense for Xbox. And that we on the show have talked about many times about how wouldn't it be great if they went after Sega or if like if you're really trying to get in the Japanese market, you got to go get someone like Sega. Well, turns out that's someone that Microsoft was trying to court and that there have been preliminary discussions in the past, though we don't have any insight into what happened with those discussions. But as you might guess, uh, Sega being a very Japanese company had a very Japanese approach to this uh, to this approach that Microsoft had about potentially maybe one day of acquiring them. And Sega responded with the following, which I just I love this. So let, let me just read straight from BGC. Sega has said that they're not interested in the acquisition talks after they emerged and that's been a target for Microsoft for recent years. Documents published last week as part of the Xbox market legal battle with the FTC said that Phil Spencer requested approval from Microsoft CEO to approach Sega Sammy about buying its gaming studios. Spencer described Sonic's the Sonic firm Sega's at, at sorry. Spencer described Sonic firm Sega as Xbox's most attractive next acquisition target due to its global PC catalog, presence in mobile in Asia, and global brand affinity on consoles throughout its through its classic IP. Following the news last week, Sega Sammy shares and Sega Sammy is the parent company of Sega. Um, Sega Sammy's share rose to its highest since 2007 following this news. Asked uh, if the company was open to acquisition talks, Sega co-chief operating officer Suji Itsuma told Bloomberg, quote, no, not now. He declined to say if Microsoft had made a formal approach. Sega has a close relationship with Microsoft. Its creative assembly uh, studio has worked on titles like Halo Wars 2 and Age of Empires 4. And it's 2021. In 2021, the Japanese company announced a strategic alliance that will see its developed games on the U.S. firm's Azure cloud platform. That's that Project Super Game thing that Sega's always talking about. And of course, there are many other things that go into play, like you know, like Fantasy Star Online 2 being an Xbox exclusive in the West for a long time, among many other things. Quote, we are very close with Microsoft, and we have a great relationship with its management team, Utsumi said. Uh, Microsoft particularly has a high regard for us. Xbox's Phil Spencer and Sarah Bond are really serious about the values that video game fans emphasize. Uh, dude, I, I, so fucking Japanese. Listen to this. Microsoft, I'm going to read this again. Microsoft particularly has high regard for us. <laughs> Xbox's Phil Spencer and Sarah Bond are really serious about the values that Xbox game fans emphasize. So, uh, just where? So, for those that don't know, it's a very American kind of mentality and attitude out there where it's very aggressive. It's like, how do you how do you grow? You eat the competition. You grow them. You acquire them. You become bigger and bigger and bigger until global domination because that's the American attitude is everything's got to be bigger and better and it's not enough to just be a very successful company and to have success. You have to acquire other companies and consume and just basically ruin everything. It's basically like the way American businesses operate is it's like going to a party and being like, oh, yeah, we're all drinking alcohol. Everyone's got like a couple glasses of wine or a couple beers in them. This is fun. We're all a little loose. We're having a good time. We're making some jokes. We're telling some stories. This is a fun social situation. The uh, the American way of, of, of taking that situation is like, okay, but we can make it more fun. I'm going to drink all the alcohol and become a fucking raging alcoholic, and I'm going to destroy the party, and I'm going to crash everything and ruin the whole situation for everyone, and I'm going to fucking 
uh, uh, bully everyone around me until they all agree that they're my best friends and that I'm the fun, the, the most fun person in the room. And that's that's the American business attitude. It's why fucking Apple buys everyone. It's why Microsoft buys everyone. It's why every corporation tries to consolidate with every other corporation. And then weirdly enough, all these fucking neck beards on the internet are like, yay, corporate consolidation. Which is kind of weird. But that's just kind of the way. Whereas in Japan, they have an actual, and I, I'm not trying to be that white guy who like just fetishizes Japanese culture or anything like that. I just... This is this has a lot less to do with me just liking Sonic the Hedgehog or some shit. This has a lot more to do with just my general respect and appreciation for kind of how Japanese business works, at least in this regard. And I get this information more so just from things like reading that fucking Console Wars book and just getting some insight into how some of these ja- Japanese uh, game companies operate as opposed to these more American uh, or Western-centric brands. But a Japanese way of handling things is very much like, hey... This is our brand. This is our company. We work to build this thing. And that's not to say that Japanese companies don't have mergers and acquisitions and things like that all the time. That'd be hypocritical for me to say that's not true. I mean, fucking Square and Enix merged to become Square Enix at one point. That's a huge one. Uh, I mean, Sega Sammy acquired Sega at one point because Sega was in rough financial shape. Sega Sammy is actually an arcade company that makes, like, gambling arcades and arcade machines and things like that they acquired sega in like the rough days when they were getting out of the console market and the dreamcast had failed in like the late uh or early 2000s so so sega sammy itself isn't even necessarily like the parent holding company isn't even necessarily the sega that brought you like the sega genesis and sonic the hedgehog and all that shit and back in the 90s so to be perfectly clear it's not to say the japanese market doesn't do things like this but in general the japanese market has a very a very like hey Let's let's create from the ground up with our own hands something really awesome, something really excellent, find success, and then take a lot of pride in continuing to have great successes and build great products, in this case, video games, for people to play and enjoy and have a great time with. Um, as opposed to being like, oh, wow, oh, we're really popular. People really like Pokemon and Mario. I guess we at Nintendo should just fucking buy Sony now. And, oh, man, people really like all the games we play as dads with dead daughters. Okay, let's buy fucking Square Enix so we can get all the all the anime swooshy hair guy games called Final Fantasy. Okay, uh, people really like when Disney characters uh, interact with weird little anime boys who may be 12, maybe 37. We don't fucking know his age. Uh, let's acquire Capcom. Okay, Resident Evil. Like, that's not how works generally speaking with these kinds of companies so it's it's kind of outside the cultural norm for a company like sega to be like oh microsoft approached us and and offered money and now we're just going to be like fuck you uh take our brand take our license take our ip take our studios take our talent it's just not really how that would generally work i think a lot of these japanese game developers seem to enjoy this kind of like at arm's length relationship with Western teams where it's like, Hey, we'll work with you. We'll put our games on your Western platforms, or we will work together to do certain things. But generally speaking, it's like the Japanese publishers and developers kind of work independently of the Western ones. And that's just kind of the way it's generally always been the the, the famous story with Xbox in the early years goes that they went over to Japan, tried to acquire Nintendo. Nintendo laughs them out of the fucking room. This has a little bit of a similar air where it's just like Sega's like, Oh, yeah, I mean, Microsoft offers us a lot of money, and we put some of our stuff on Game Pass as a result of those fat checks they cut us, but fuck no, we're not interested in being bought out by Microsoft, no. And it's almost a little bit embarrassing to get that kind of reaction from Sega in a way, because even though Sega, uh, uh, Microsoft and Xbox have struggled, no doubt, during the past couple of generations with just lack of first-party support or games that aren't hitting nearly as hard as like their competitors' games and things like that, there's no denying Sega's a company that's had some embarrassing failures 
actually tons of embarrassing failures, especially over the past 20 years with things like Sonic just always being on the up and down, mostly more on the down in the public's perception than the up. Um, you know, just things like Atlas generally being considered the the the, the one arm of Sega that's kind of holding the whole company up with uh, the Persona and Shin Megami games being well-respected and well-regarded while basically everything else Sega does being kind of laughed out of the room. Uh, Yakuza is kind of more of a recent love and success on, in the Western market, but beforehand was a pretty niche Japanese-centric type game that just really didn't resonate with the uh, Western market at, at all. So it's kind of new that people suddenly give a shit about that, that franchise. So... It's weird because Sega is Sega's definitely been seen as like a, a step down from like the Capcoms, the Konamis, the Square Enixes of the world when it comes to the big Japanese developers. And while, you know, a lot of us, we all grow up sucking on the teeth of Nintendo, look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, Sega and Nintendo, that classic rivalry. I mean, that, that rivalry has been dead for so long. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, Nintendo's just been trouncing. They've just been... They've just been killing it for decade after decade after decade. And sure, the Wii U was a little bit of a slip-up for, like, the four years it was around. But other than that, I mean, Nintendo's just been on fire forever. Uh, and the one thing you can never criticize Nintendo for is they always got that quality with their games. Like, their games are always regarded as top-tier, cream of the crop. Sega doesn't have that reputation. Sega has a reputation that's rocky. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're horrible. Sometimes they're just okay. But Nintendo's got, like, that killer attitude. So, I don't know. It's just It's funny to me because... Even though I personally love Sega and, and they are like the Japanese video game developer publisher that that resonates with me the most because they just have some of that IP I really love. Of course, Die Hard Sonic fan, which is a huge part of that. It's just there's something there's something kind of like embarrassing here of them of them saying like, oh, no, 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 we're not interested in that. We have a great relationship. They particularly really like us. But no, 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 we're not interested in any kind of merger or acquisition with Microsoft. No, thank you. It, it just looks bad when it's like one of the. Uh, I guess one of the weakest players in the Japanese gaming scene is saying that about you and you're already kind of seen as somewhat of the weaker player in the console space. So it's it's not a good look and it's unfortunate because I really do think Sega is a great fit for Xbox. But yeah, I mean, they were kind of always utterly trying to go to Japan and get someone because you got to think it's like, how would that even look? You think about like like Sega, it's like outside of Sonic, the majority of what Sega makes is very Japanese-centric games. And you look at a country like Japan, where everyone owns PlayStation and Nintendo, and almost no one has Xbox, and if all of those Sega games were to someday randomly just become Xbox first-party games, like the next Yakuza, the next game from uh, from the guys that make Persona and shit, if those games were just suddenly to become Xbox exclusives, do you think the Japanese market would just be like, oh man, I guess I gotta go buy an Xbox so I can play the next entry in the Yakuza, in the Yakuza franchise? No, they'd be like, well, fuck Sega. I mean, I feel betrayed. I guess I'm just gonna go play more games from other Japanese studios that aren't Sega because I'm not gonna go buy a fucking Xbox, you know? I don't, and besides, I don't need Sonic and, 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 and Persona when I could just go get Final Fantasy and Resident Evil and all, you know, Mega Man and Metal Gear Solid and all these other Japanese games that I can easily play on PlayStation or Nintendo or whatever the fuck I want, you know? So I just, it, I don't think it would play out. I think it would be hurtful for Sega's brand. I think their developers wouldn't be cool with it. I don't think a lot of uh, Sega owned teams would want to be owned and owned by Microsoft, even though Microsoft would probably give them that very hands-off control situation like they do with everyone else. Like, I just I just don't think that would work for them. Like, it just, again. And even if they kept the games multi-platform, I just think there's, there's just a cultural divide there where it's like, that's just not really the way 
a lot of these Japanese teams roll and operate. Plus, I mean, we keep seeing the stories about all these Japanese publishers are like, hey, times are really good. We're, we're, our games are selling really well. We're making a lot of money. We're going to give our employees pay increases and health benefits and more uh, a more vested interest in the company, whereas American companies would be like, hey, we're making record-breaking profits, so we're going to fire 10% of our staff, um, d- d- diminish health uh, benefits, and, uh, uh, oh, this whole team, they're going to be replaced by computer programs, and then, you know, some fucking old man's going to yell at you and tell you you're a fucking Nazi and a traitor if you don't uh, blindly pledge allegiance to a country where the corporations are making it objectively worse day in, day out, but... I don't know. There's just there's just a night and day difference. And all joking aside, I just really don't think this would have ever worked as much as I personally have on the show multiple times on multiple occasions said, man, wouldn't it be great if they went after Sega? Wouldn't it be so awesome if Master Chief and Sonic just ran into each other and became best friends and just always ended up going to Denny's together? It'd just be so fucking awesome if Sonic always ordered a Grand Slam and then Master Chief also ordered a Grand Slam and they bonded over that and then they became very good friends. And then Cortana would come back into the scene and maybe we would figure out what the fuck happened between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite because 343 refuses to tell that story and also Sonic Unleashed 2 deserves a sequel. Don't you think Sonic Unleashed 2 should exist? Don't you think? Don't you think? And that's what I would say. But in all actuality, it just doesn't seem plausible or realistic for Nintendo or for Xbox and Sega to get in bed together. Although, there's always going to be that part of me that daydreams a little bit because, hey, at the end of the day, I'm American and I guess I got it in my blood. I want to see, I want to see this American corporation dominate this Japanese company. I want to see them consolidate. I want to see, I want to see my green team win. I just want to see them fucking beat up uh, PlayStation because I think owning Sega would make Xbox cool. Anyway, that's a, I don't know, that's whatever it is. There's my 60% sarcastic analysis and my 40% schizophrenic analysis. I hope you guys feel like that was a very fruitful conversation. Speaking of fruit, let's move on to the next part where uh, Microsoft's chief financial officer has claimed that she never assessed the possibility of making Call of Duty an Xbox exclusive at any point. Um, Amy Hood, uh, CF. CFO of Microsoft, who plays a significant role in this approval process for the proposed acquisition, appeared in court last week uh, in the FTC whole charade and uh, in a testimony uploaded for public viewing. So you can go ahead and look at this yourself, although I didn't think of this in the article ahead of the appearing in, in court last week. Hood denied that there was ever part of Microsoft thinking that Call of Duty would be made exclusive if they if they got it. The executive who appeared to... Um, who approved the initial purchase price of $68.7 billion, said, quote, an essential component of the valuation of the redacted is uh, forecasted total future sales of Activision's content on all platforms, including continued sales of Call of Duty on PlayStation. The possibility of making Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox was never assessed or discussed with me, nor was that ever even mentioned in any of the presentation or discussions with the board of directors. I understood the necessity of keeping COD on other platforms. She continued the acquisition strategic rationale uh, and financial valuation are both aligned towards making Activision games more widely available, not less. So I don't feel like we really need to discuss this any further because I actually believe this fullheartedly. Listen, man, for the amount of money they're willing to spend to get Activision and the amount of money it costs to develop Call of Duty on a consistent basis. I don't know how anyone ever thought for a fucking second Call of Duty would ever leave PlayStation. I remember the second this deal was announced early last year, that was kind of everyone's initial knee jerk was like, there's there's no way they're going to take COD off of PlayStation, right? I think everyone always knew that the only reason we're even here talking about this ever at any point is because Sony has no choice but to ring the bell and cry wolf on this specific issue, even though it's not an issue, because obviously in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of these regulator bo- regulatory boards, in the eyes of these 
old fucking decrepit men who don't know goddamn things about video games and who are put in charge of approving and denying these deals, it's a really plausible and, 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 and good argument for them to make in favor of getting this deal shot down for them to be like, well, well they're, they're going to take, why wouldn't they take the game away from us? You know, if fucking McDonald's bought the Coca-Cola corporation, why wouldn't they stop selling Coca-Cola at Burger King and Wendy's? You know, it would cripple competition. It would make more people go to McDonald's. It would make those companies hurt more because more people want Coke with their burgers. No shit. So that, that logic makes sense. Everyone in the world would understand why Sony would want to make that argument. And if you have no real knowledge of video games whatsoever, I don't know why you wouldn't think Sony has a really, really solid argument by leaning on that. We all know it's bullshit because we, we you don't have to be you don't have to be a fucking economic video game savant to understand why you need Call of Duty on PlayStation regardless of who owns it. If you take Call of Duty off PlayStation, you fucking cripple the community, you ruin the platform, you ruin the viability of the development of the game. You just ruin the whole fucking system that call that Activision is built around Call of Duty. Maybe to some of you that sounds great, but you know, in terms of running a business, you don't mess with the good thing. And what they got going on with Call of Duty is a damn good thing. So I don't think anyone at Microsoft would have been stupid enough to try and make Call of Duty an Xbox exclu- exclusive because the good does not outweigh the bad in that case. So I don't know. We don't have to talk about that, but it's just something I feel like we all know, right? All right, let's let's also real quick kind of skim over this one it doesn't necessarily have to do with xbox but i feel like it suggests that xbox has something on the horizon if playstation does as well so let's let's touch on it this one came a little bit later but from vgc microsoft is expecting sony to launch a playstation 5 slim console later this year in 2023 in documents published as part of a legal battle with the us ftc blah 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 the company said they expect a new ps5 model to cost the same as the ps5 digital console which is 100 bucks less than the standard ps5 retailing at 400 in the U.S. for those who need some kind of reference. Quote, PlayStation is expecting to release a PS5 Slim later this year at the same reduced $400 price point, Microsoft said in the document. The Xbox maker also said it believes Sony is preparing to launch a PS5 Pro console. Quote, PlayStation, meanwhile, currently offers two different versions of the PS5, one with a Blu-ray player and a physical media, and the digital version that comes without that. And the anticipated, they're anticipated to release further differentiated Pro and Slim models in the near future. Last month, Sony announced the PS uh, streaming portable device Project Q, which had been rumored for a while. It was described as a dedicated device that enables you to stream games from your PS5 to your remote play over Wi-Fi. While the launching details and pricing weren't revealed, Microsoft said its legal filings that Sony is also anticipated to release a handheld version of PlayStation 5 later this year for under $300. Last year, Insider Gaming sources uh, claimed that Sony was planning to launch a PS5 model with a detachable disk drive around September of this year. They said the console would be sold or bundled with the detachable disk drive, which would also be sold separately and connected to the PS5 and an extra USB-C port on the back of the machine. Uh, It's claimed that it would replace the original PS5 by the end of the year, which is why PS5 supply and uh, stock has been reducing over the past couple months in certain parts of the world because people are speculating that they're getting ready to replace it with this new SKU. Not only that, but a lot of rumors leading up to PlayStation's event a couple weeks ago or a month ago um, suggested that they were going to announce that Slim or that new model, one of those new models, along with the place with the Spider-Man with the Spider-Man 2 trailer they showed and say that they would be doing a Spider-Man 2 bundle with the PS5 Slim or whatever and that that would be coming out this September. Um, that we never got. So it's it seems like this was probably all the plan, but at some point last minute, Sony pulled these plans because it doesn't seem like... 
I mean, we're in, we're in July. They already did their big event of the year. Unless Sony's playing another big event for like October or something, I don't. I mean, even that's too late, right? Unless Sony's playing another big event for maybe September. Yeah, maybe August, September. Then I just don't see how they're going to get these out in time because you're telling me they're going to release a PS5 Pro to replace the standard PS5, a PS5 Slim to replace the discless PS5, and the Project Q $300 streaming device all this year. And none of them have been announced. I mean, that's a lot of hardware to be pushing out that hasn't been announced in this year when we're more than 50% way through the year. So, uh, 50% of the way through the year. So, I just, I don't know. It seems like this is probably likely the plan, and that at some point last minute in the past month or so, they have since pulled out. I just, I think this is not a viable plan. Like the Project Q, I'm on board with. I get that. Maybe even the PS5 Slim, I get that too. You know, Slim to compete more with the Series S, it makes sense. But like the PS5 Pro in particular, I just don't. Project Q can't be happening this year, first of all, because they showed a, they showed a render of what it might look like. They didn't even show the actual device. But the PS5 Pro in particular, it's like you can't you can't do that, man. Because I think I think they were expecting and hoping that maybe by this point we'd be far along enough in the in the console lifecycle where it'd be reasonable to do a PS5 Pro. But for the same reason, I don't think we're getting an Xbox Series X Pro anytime soon or anything like that is because, listen, man, the first year and a half, two years of these devices, PS5 and Xbox Series, were just completely crippled by supply shortages, chip production issues, all the COVID shit that we've been dealing with for, for a while. So the, this new generation was incredibly stunted with availability. Obviously, there's the always present well it's popular new hardware everyone wants to get their hands on it but also this this chip shortage and all this crap really really stinted stunted people's ability to get these consoles for much longer than it should have had so that's part one is you got a lot of people who are just now getting their hands on these consoles so to release a pro version like i don't know like five ten months after someone finally got their hands on ps5 that's that seems like just that just seems like a terrible way to treat your your user base and then the, the second half to that is I think, again, playing into the supply shortages, the work from home, the way it's effed up and gunked up, game development, how the past few years have been a little slow, honestly, on both platforms. People bitch about 2022 being a rough year for Xbox, and it sure was. There was really not a whole lot of anything happening. But if you ask me, PlayStation's been suffering a little bit as well. Not as bad. I get it. They had Ratchet. They had Returnal. They've had uh, uh, the New Horizon game. They had the new God of War game. They got Spider-Man this year. They're definitely doing better than Xbox in terms of having first-party big heavy hitters coming out. But... Both platforms are struggling a little bit, and they're about to switch places if unless play, Sony's got something big up their sleeve to announce because Xbox has got a pretty sick 2023-2024 slate coming up for the rest of this year into next year, and PlayStation's got basically nothing on the slate for next year, and it just seems like work from home and all the shit from the pandemic has really gunked up game development to where this generation of Xbox Series and PS5 is going to be really stunted from, from this first half of just all these games that were in development being kind of pushed back because of everything that happened the past couple of years. So again, another reason why maybe it's just a little premature to have some kind of pro model of this console that people have barely gotten any use out of. I mean, I've had a Xbox Series X since day one, and I feel like I really haven't had more than like one or two games that have really justified the console in terms of like, ah, oh, this is the next gen game yet. So I just feel like it's just a little too preemptive. Yeah, not only that, but the economy is getting rough as well. So it's just not a great time to be like, hey, uh, more money, please. Here's more hardware for you to buy. Like, so I just feel like all the factors point in the favor of like, 
yeah, maybe these were the plans, but these plans have shifted. So even though Microsoft's filings show that Sony's apparently releasing three pieces of hardware this this year, I don't believe it. And I think if Sony is, you know Xbox is as well, planning on releasing new hardware. But both of them are kind of holding, uh, keeping the, the, the powder out of the keg, so to speak, if you want to put it that way, where maybe next year, but I don't know, man. Maybe these models don't even come because Xbox has talked about maybe not even needing a pro model at all. And Honestly, if anyone needs it, maybe it's Xbox Series S. So, you know, who knows? Maybe next year would be the year for these devices. But I really think 2023 is probably off the table um, for discussion with this new hardware. That Project Q, I'd like to see that. A slim model, that makes sense. You know, Xbox is getting there. The black higher storage Series S, which is cool. Um, but, you know, like a, a new a new more premium, more expensive option, you know, like a, like a $600 PS5 or something. I just think... I think that's a little a little tone deaf to be quite honest. So we'll see. But man, Sony. The only thing I can think is Sony must have another event planned for this year. There's no way they're not going to let Xbox have all this glory for the rest of the year and just do nothing other than release Spider Man. Um, so I mean, they they must have some kind of September event in mind. Maybe shortly before Spider. Maybe like two weeks before Spider Man, you have some big blowout event. Um, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's all they can do to really salvage their otherwise pretty lackluster 2023 but we'll we'll see it it isn't a playstation podcast so i guess it's not our problem uh guys next up this is kind of our last one before getting some wrap-ups but i want to talk about this one banjo kazooie a uh a beloved n64 era 3d platformer uh, basically my my time period my youth my favorite genre one of you know again that's very near and dear to my childhood that was a Nintendo exclusive for a long time, but now an Xbox exclusive. Talking about the probability or any kind of potential future for this franchise, uh, let's get into that story this week that uh, kind of touched on all that. From VGC, key members of the original Banjo-Kazooie team have said that they they are doubtful of a new entry in the beloved 3D platforming franchise, and they don't think it, one will release in the near future. While dormant for some years, it was... Its last original game was in 2008, the Xbox 360 Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. The franchise has become more prominent lately in re- most recent years. Uh, last the N60, When last year, the N64 original was added to Nintendo Switch Online. And before that, Banjo-Kazooie were added as playable characters to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate for Nintendo Switch. In 2020, Xbox boss Phil Spencer said in an interview that uh, rivals of classic Sorry, revivals of classic Rare franchises were up to Rare itself to decide. However, speaking of EGC as part of the extended internal, speaking of EGC as part of an extended interview to mark Banjo Kazooie's 25th anniversary, a group of original Rare team members have said that they're not expecting the new game anytime soon. And I, I took out some of this to just kind of streamline a little bit, but let's read it here. Despite a three million dollar Kickstarter and over a million copies sold of their spiritual successor, Playtonic Games, developer comprised of ex Banjo Kazooie developers, you uh, the game Ukulele composer Grant Kirkthorpe, nope, it's Kirkhope, questioned whether or not an audience was truly around for a new Banjo Kazooie game. Quote, I feel like you'd have to get a team with the humor that we had back then, and that's hard to replicate. I think Rare would be open to somebody if they found the right team, but I don't feel like that team exists. Also, I'm not convinced that the audience is there either. I don't feel like there are many Banjo fans out there. The whole Smash Bros. thing was spectacular. It really was. I think the team had worked hard on that game, had a tear in their eye when Banjo turned up in, in Super Smash Bros. It was just an unbelievable release of emotion. Seeing all those fans crying on the videos was heartwarming, as and we all felt it. 
that was a once in a lifetime event when that happened. But I also still feel like there is a multi-million dollar thing with Banjo-Kazooie. I'm not convinced it's there though. Grant added on, I do sometimes feel that we exist in a kind of Banjo-Kazooie bubble where it sounds like a great big noise, but how big is that bubble? I don't know. Outside of that bubble, what, what's the audience look like? Lead programmer Chris Sutherland echoed Kirkhope's sentiment, saying, quote, For a long time, there was a doubt whether there would be an audience for that type of game. Of course, there's some audience, but it's is it enough to justify the kind of scale of a game that you would need for a first-party title, he said. Obviously, Nintendo does well with their platformers, but that's Nintendo's kind of thing, where they're the exception to the rule. That's the big question. The characters themselves, like we've seen with Smash Bros., people have love for them, but do they love that game? This is, uh, yeah, and they go on with a little more, but I ended it there. This is, um, this kind of encapsulates everything I think and feel about Banjo-Kazooie as well. I, I, I think if there was ever a time for Banjo-Kazooie to have persisted, it would have been for Xbox to have continued the game series back on the original Xbox in the early 2000s, and then maybe again on the Xbox 360, but... The, the the truth of the matter is the team that works at Rare today is not the team that made Banjo-Kazooie. There are some people that worked on Banjo-Kazooie that are still there today, no doubt. A lot of those people left, and a lot of those people went on to create Platonic Games, which is that indie studio that kickstarted and made Ukulele, which is basically just a spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. I, I never really played through all of Ukulele. I played a, a little bit of it. I, I didn't. It didn't click with me the way I liked. I loved Banjo-Kazooie. It was you know I I was a, I was a Nintendo obsessor when i was a kid i, I loved the n64 i had the n6 i got an n64 when i was like six or seven and i played the shit out of that thing for many years until basically a, about a year before the wii came out I, I didn't get the gamecube until late so i was a big n64 kid for a long time when i was little and i played a shit ton of of banjo kazooie and i thought i thought the world of those games i thought they were phenomenal and, and keep in mind like my, my favorite video game genre has always been the 3d platformer again my you know as much as i love xbox and this is an xbox podcast my favorite game of all time is super mario galaxy for the nintendo wii i grew up on n64 and game boy color and all that shit and i i love nintendo i loved old rare donkey kong country i played i played um both banjo kazooie and banjo tooie so like these are these are games that mean something to me they mean a lot to my childhood these are games that helped raise me and, and, and entertain my pathetic existence of a childhood. But the the fact of the matter is like, even I, as someone who's like so nostalgically driven towards these games, understand exactly why Rare doesn't do this. It's like the, the team that made these games, they, they aren't around together. That band is broken up. The name Rare persists. And yeah, it's owned by Xbox. So maybe just because you see that logo and you see that name and you see the ownership of Xbox and how they're hurting for first party content, how it just seems like such an easy slam dunk for them doesn't necessarily mean that the time is right to do it. And the one time they tried to do Banjo-Kazooie, I think they understood that it's like, we can't do old hat. We can't just like go make a Banjo-Kazooie 3 on Xbox 360 and expect everyone to love it. Now, in hindsight, I think that's probably what they should have done over what we got with Nuts and Bolts. But as as the story goes, the, the team at Rare was working on something very different from Banjo-Kazooie. And Microsoft basically came to them and said, can you slap the Banjo-Kazooie IP on that and make it something that sells a little better? And they did that, and that's kind of how you got Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which, by the way, I, I will say this to someone who played Nuts and Bolts a lot growing up uh, in the early Xbox 360 years. Well, the game came out in 2008, but back when it came out, I played that game a lot. I actually like Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. I know it's not a popular opinion. Um, it's not as good as the original Banjo-Kazooie games for certain, but... 
I actually like that game. I think it's pretty good. If you can accept that it's just the wrong IP slapped on a completely different game, I actually think it's quite fun. But aside from that being being the unfortunate case and reality of what that game was, the thing is, man, we, we've watched Rare mature into such a different studio, and they hit the nail on the head by saying the Nintendo thing. Nintendo really is the exception to the rule because you think about, like, Super Mario Odyssey comes out. The whole world stops what they're doing, and oh my god, it's Super Mario Odyssey. Let's all play it. Everyone I know has played Super Mario Odyssey. It's it's great. It's a great game. I like Super Mario Odyssey. I think it's, I think it's a fantastic game. I had a lot of fun with it uh, when it came out in 2017. Good time. Sold mil- many millions and millions of copies to many children and man children that grew up playing Mario. That's it's wonderful. But how many people here played Super Lucky Tale? How many people here played A Hat in Time? How many people here played Sonic Frontiers? How many people here in Sonic Frontiers is one of the much more popular and successful. 3D platformers, but I know there's a lot of people listening to this very podcast that probably played Mario Odyssey and didn't play Sonic Frontiers. And I'm not trying to say like, it's your fault we're not getting a new Banjo-Kazooie game, but what I'm trying to say is it's like, there really is a weird exception to the rule thing where Nintendo just has a built-in blind, some mostly deserved, but just like blind trust from generations of gamers where it's like, I just know that if Mar- if Nintendo decides to make a new Mario game, it's going to be good. It might be not the best Mario game ever, but it's going to be good because Nintendo doesn't miss. And if it's a 3D Mario game, it's going to be great. Because guess what? Mario 64, as as bad as I think that game is aged, I don't think that game is as good as people say it is, although it's an important game historically. You know, people love that game. It was a great foundation. It was really great for the time. Mario, Ga- Mario Sunshine, I love Mario Sunshine. Mario Sunshine's a phenomenal follow-up. Mario Galaxy, greatest video game of all time. Mario Odyssey, a great follow-up. I don't think it's as good as Mario Galaxy, but it's a fantastic follow-up, and it's a fantastic game. But people don't have that kind of confidence with these other games. Like, what what do we expect from a Banjo-Kazooie 3? Is it just going to be the Banjo-Kazooie we played on N64, but now it's, like, really, really pretty and feels really modern? And we know that modern audiences don't really have a lot of affinity or love for 3D platformers. There's not really a whole lot of them out there. And when they do exist, they have like other kind of mechanics and things built on top of them. You think about it in a way, it's like, I don't know, it's like Ratchet and Clank is kind of like a, a platformer in a way. You know, it was built, the guys made, Insomniac made Spyro. And then they're like, how, how can we take this formula and make it more mature? And they're like, let's, let's give the guy guns. And then we got Ratchet and Clank and stuff. So unless you take platforming and kind of like twist it around like that some like sunset overdrive and, and you build some other crazy mechanics around it it's just hard to sell modern audiences on a 3d platformer unless your name is nintendo and unless that game is exclusively made for nintendo's current hardware but i i just feel like xbox are smart enough and wise enough and more more to the point rare because we know xbox basically gives free reign to their devs rare or smart enough to say hey we we love Banjo Kazooie. We're grateful to that game. It helped establish us as the team people know us for today. But that's not who we are anymore. Those aren't the games we make anymore. And that game's not going to find success. And if you and if you and if you're, I don't know if you're like if you feel differently about that, look no further than Sea of Thieves, man. Like Sea of Thieves is a rare game through and through. And obviously there are many games in between Banjo Kazooie and and Sea of Thieves, like freaking Cameo and some Connect games and things like that. But simply just think of. You know, I, I would say after Banjo-Kazooie, the next thing that like put Rare on the map and made them a smash success was Sea of Thieves. And think about Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves feels like a Rare game top to bottom. It has some wit. It has some humor. It definitely has an art style that feels very much like something Rare has made. 
And it just like it, it, if whatever was left of that studio, it feels like some of that 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 spirit, that emotion that we had back in the N sixty four days, kind of exists a little bit in Sea of Thieves. I think honestly, Sea of Thieves is a great game, and uh, it it feels very much like what a mature modern day rare can make. But Sea of Thieves is nothing like Banjo Kazooie, but it's a game that makes so much more sense for Xbox's first party than Banjo Kazooie. It's online. It's, it's a game you can play with your friends. You can have great adventures. You can play more narrative-driven content. You can goof off and fuck around. You can build up your character. You can unlock stuff. You can discover stuff. You can explore a vast open world. You can do the kinds of things that I think Xbox gamers expect to be able to do in an Xbox game a little more. Because even though a game like Sea of Thieves is a lot more uh, cartoony and has that comic mischief and is a little bit more whimsical, like I think we would maybe think a Rare game to be, it still toes that line perfectly where you can understand it's like, this is an Xbox game. It, it, it's almost funny because you could argue for the longest time, Microsoft acquiring Rare was such a stupid mistake, you know, when they bought Rare from Nintendo um, in the early 2000s. Because for the longest time, it just felt like Microsoft did not know what to do with Rare. And like, they had some successes. They had like, uh, like Viva Pinata and these fun games like that. But I would argue that, Sea of Thieves is the game Rare made, and it took them a long-ass time to get there, but it's the game that Rare finally made that said, this is us taking kind of who we've always been and who we are now as a modern team and making that somehow translate well to our current parent company of Xbox, of Microsoft, as opposed to like this British team that was weirdly owned by Nintendo that made these over-the-top 3D collect-a-thon platformers that were never quite as good as what Nintendo was making, but still very endearing and charming and beloved. So it's a... I I don't know, man. It's just they make different games. And, like, we look at Everwild, and we don't fully know what Everwild is, but I got to be honest with you. I'm a lot more interested in a rare that's making Everwild than I am in a rare that's making... uh, trying to go back to some former glory and recreate Banjo-Kazooie because I don't think they can necessarily pull it off. The team isn't the same team anymore. Um, I don't think Banjo-Kazooie would really play to the Xbox audience, and you'd have to, if if you make a new Banjo-Kazooie game, you'd have to make it an Xbox and Nintendo exclusive. That's the thing you'd have to do. And and like they say, it's like, I I think it's just better off finding some other team that'd be better suited to do it. And that's, I'm happy with that. I think it's actually a great idea, like get ukulele or something, or ukulele, um, Platonic, or some other team and be like, hey, you guys make a new Banjo-Kazooie game for Xbox. I, I love that idea. I think it'd be cool to see Banjo-Kazooie come back for sure, but it just doesn't make sense. And and the other thing is, back in those days, back in the N64, games were made in like one to two years. Games games had like a development cycle of like nine to 18 months, you know? <laughs> and games were super cheap to make compared to how much games cost to make today. And when you consider those factors that games are regularly like 150, 200,000, $200 million uh, to make, you can't be spending money like that on something like Banjo-Kazooie, which is just not going to have the pull of something like Sea of Thieves, of something like Halo, of something like Gears of War. So as much as it sucks, it's just like you got to use your resources wisely. And I don't think Rare wants to make that kind of game. I don't think Xbox thinks that's a wise investment to make. And as much as we all love Banjo Kazooie and we're all nostalgic for it, it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. So I, I I'm all for, you know, giving finding some like double A team that has proven themselves that they can do it, maybe get like Platonic or something, you know, give them fifty million bucks and in, in three years and say, Go fuck off and make this game and, and see what they can come up with. But 
I just don't think it'd be a smart use of resources to be like, hey, Rare, come on back to the old days and make, make us another banjo. Remember, Rare also made GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, and we don't ask for them to go back and make those games because it's just not the world we live in anymore. It's just, it's not, it's not the way the games industry is set up anymore. And a lot of these teams, games are so intricate and so detailed and so meticulously crafted that you can't just do what they used to do in the old days where it's like, ah, I'm going to make a fucking 3d collectathon platformer as where you play as a bird and a bear. And then, uh, now I'm going to make a first person shooter where you play as like this, uh, like this, uh, this like spy thrilling espionage type type of, uh, stealthy FPS game. Why not? You know, it's like you, you can't, these companies don't like shift like that anymore. It's like, you just, when you found something you're good at, you kind of stick within that. And then you, build around the things that you're good at. And right now, Rare is good at these whimsical, adventure-filled, um, charming multiplayer games where you kind of create your own adventures and explore and get lost in these worlds. And I assume we're going to see some of those themes and motifs and uh, and mechanics and kinds of ideas that exist in Sea of Thieves. And we're going to see some kind of like evolution or riff off of these ideas exist in some way in a game like Everwild. But... That's not where Banjo Kazooie was, and I just feel like it would be a step back going to Banjo Kazooie. And and I also agree. I think it's an echo chamber thing. Like I'll, I'll end on this. You see, like EA, and how for years and years people begged for Mirror's Edge two, Mirror's Edge two, and I was one of those people. I loved the original Mirror's Edge. I played 2008's Mirror Edge and Mirror's Edge, and I thought it was a phenomenal game. And for so long, people begged and begged for another Mirror's Edge. And eight years later. They got it. They made Mirror's Edge Catalyst. And while it wasn't exactly what people were asking for, and you could blame that as part of it because they tried to make it a little more open world, it was a new Mirror's Edge game, and I played that game too. And I, it wasn't as good as the first game, but I, I did like it. But the point is, you know, Mirror's Edge Catalyst came out, and despite, you know, regardless of, of their reviews and, and the reception, it turned out to be one of those things where, like, hey, it's a loud minority out here bitching and moaning about wanting another Mirror's Edge. It's not like a huge population of people who are hungry for this. And that's, I think, part of what you'd probably see with Banjo-Kazooie, where it's like, hey, it's a bunch of like, it's a bunch of like neckbeards that were kids in the 90s that like really, really, really are nostalgic for like fucking like uh, Kool-Aid fruit jammers and like uh, green ketchup. Like these motherfuckers that grew up on like Shrek 2, they really want Banjo-Kazooie back. But like, we also got to understand that just because those guys are in their 30s now and they really miss Banjo-Kazooie does not necessarily mean that a new Banjo-Kazooie game is going to play well to today's kids. You know, it doesn't mean that a bunch of 12-year-olds today are going to go play Banjo-Kazooie 3 just because you made it to appease the 35-year-old man, right? So you got to keep that in mind as well. And, 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 that's, and they talk about it too in this interview and this is why all these companies do this nowadays where you don't just get like, hey, we're going to make Destroy All Humans 3 or 4 or whatever. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to remake Destroy All Humans and see if there's an audience for it. Embracer also did that with SpongeBob. They're like, hey, we're going to make that, uh, we're going to remake that Quest for Bikini Bottom or whatever the fuck game and rehydrated edition. And then they're like, okay, this did okay. Now we can make a new SpongeBob game. And so that's how you do it, especially with this bringing back of the 3D platformers is you remaster it, you remake it. Does it sell really well? Okay, maybe there's a market and we can come back to this franchise. So I think, if anything, if Banjo-Kazooie comes back in any way, that is what you have to do, is you have to do a Banjo-Kazooie ground-up remake. And I know it's been re-released through Rare Collection, and it came to the Xbox 360 arcade uh, about a decade ago and things like that, but like now's the time to build Banjo-Kazooie from the ground up. Do people want it? Did it do well? Okay, maybe we can talk about a new entry in the series then.
But start with something that's already kind of a guaranteed hit. Start with something that has that history. Sorry, my that's a leather chair, I promise. But, uh, you know, whatever. I just, um, I don't know. It, it, it sucks, but it's one of those things where there's actually a part of me that kind of likes that Banjo-Kazooie has never been revisited because in a world where, like, nothing from our childhood is allowed to just fucking die and lay to rest, it's like, eh, it's kind of nice that we have this one thing. So Banjo-Kazooie is that thing I can just remember from my childhood and I don't have to worry about them trying to fucking be like, here's Banjo-Kazooie 3. Remember Banjo? He's old now. He's tired, and now he's got to pass the baton on to a brand new bear. This is fucking uh, Duffy Bear, and he's got to take on the mantle of Benjo and with a new bird. And by the way, this new bird is not the kind of bird you're expecting. This bird just so happens to be a darker feathered bird. And then all the fucking neckbeards get on Twitter like they fucking ruined Banjo Kazooie. They made Banjo Kazooie woke. They gave him a they gave him a dark feathered bird. And then I'm like, oh fucking god, just kill me already. I don't I don't need another Banjo Kazooie. I just need the sweet embrace of death at this point because now I gotta deal with the fucking back and forth on the internet about Banjo Kazooie going going woke. Um, anyway, fucking hell, God. People need to find actual things to care about. All right, guys, let's move on with life. Uh, hey, on the bright side, this fall, not 3D platformer, but uh, this fall we got a brand new 2D Sonic and a brand new 2D Mario game, and they both look phenomenal. So um, they're not exactly the same as Banjo-Kazooie, but if you want to show some support to the platforming genre, which is my favorite genre outside of first-person shooting, I think uh, maybe you just got to go ahead and support support these games. So. All right, let's wrap up with a couple quick ones. Games with Gold uh, for July, or yeah, for July have been announced. So Darkwood will be available all month long on Games with Gold. Uh, it's a $15 value, absolutely free. Uh, and then also When the Past Was Around will be available from July 16 to the August to August 15. So that's an $8.50 value, absolutely free. Guys, you'd be fucking idiots to sleep on this one. Make sure you go ahead and download. I'm not familiar with either of these games, but both, uh, both key arts look vaguely interesting to me so games of gold and then also as a game pass update as we uh, get a couple of these a month starting out in july we got some new games coming and leaving game pass so let's talk about what's available beginning today grand theft auto 5 is back on game pass on via cloud and streaming so this is like the third time i think gta 5 has been on game pass it's funny how take two ceo strauss zelnick has talked about not believing in game pass yet here the biggest game they have is on Game Pass for like the hundredth time, although there's a difference between releasing your uh, your ten year old game on Game Pass versus releasing your brand new game. So I understand the not necessarily fair comparison, but also uh, also available today, Sword and Fairy Together Forever Cloud Console and PC now available on Game Pass. Uh, the day this podcast goes live, July six, McPixel three Cloud Console and PC will also be available on Game Pass. Then on July July eleventh, Come On Hood will be on Cloud Console and PC as well as Insurgency Stand, Sandstorm. Now that's been on console Game Pass for a while now, but now it's coming to PC, so you'll be able to play that there. Exo Primal, the new Capcom uh, brand new game, is coming day one to Game Pass on July fourteenth. Excited to try that game out. Cloud console PC. And then on July 18th, we get the following games. Uh, Tectonica, which is a game preview game, as well as it's a day one game as well, as well as The Cave coming July 18th. So uh, it's a double fine game. Who owns the rights to that game? Because shouldn't that technically be first party and just be on Game Pass? Maybe someone else has the rights to that. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, 
And then the following games are leaving Game Pass on July 15th, so make sure you try them out now or purchase some while they're discounted before they're gone from the service, which uh, the following three games will be leaving, so here you go. Don't say I didn't warn you. XO1 is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Paw Patrol the Movie Adventure City Calls is leaving Cloud Console and PC. And also, Spelunky 2 is leaving Cloud Console and PC, so sayonara, don't care. And uh, with that said, guys, that's it for the news. So let's wrap up real quick with the important enough stories. Stories important enough to make the news, but make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own individual discussions, which we have a few to rattle off here. Hey, guys, this first one has to be excited. Stray, the popular cat game that came to PlayStation last year, is coming to Xbox finally. This August, Annapurna Interactive have announced the critically acclaimed platformer. Hey, platformers, which stars a small, nameless cat, will come to Xbox on August 10th. So I will certainly be playing that game. Next up, Tango Gameworks have released Hi-Fi Rush's new arcade challenge mode, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Heading the update are two new modes, BPM Rush and Power Up. Tower Up, uh, both will be unlocked once players have finished the game, so those are available now. Uh, next up, VGC announces that, or really, uh, relays that the release date for EA Sports FC 24 has reportedly been revealed, according to reliable data miner Billy Bill Kuhn. Uh, the, we talk about him all the time, always has a good track record. EA is apparently going to release the game on September 29, 2023. Standard and ultimate versions of the game will be available, as was the case with EA's FIFA series. Like the FIFA series, the ultimate edition of EA Sports FC 24 will give players early access. I'm so excited to see. I'm so curious to see. Not excited. I'm so curious to see how that game performs without the FIFA license. Um, next up, Disney Speedstorm will officially release on September 28th as a free-to-play PC and console game after it's out of its early access period. The Kart Racer launched on April 18th, early access via three separate premium versions, offering three different uh, additional contents. Uh, the game will all, was always play planned to release as free-to-play later at, at a different time. I want to give this game another try once I can play a full release version on Xbox, but I just I didn't love it when I played the early release on Steam, but maybe I'll feel different when I can play it on my platform of choice. I don't know. Uh, next up, recently launched UK studio Lighthouse Games has received a game-changing investment from Chinese gaming giant Tencent. As reported by GamesIndustry.biz, the new Lemmington Spa-based studio has secured a unspecified investment from a tech firm in which it says will help it become one of the largest AAA game developers in the UK. Lighthouse Games was officially unveiled in March and is led, notably, by Playground Games co-founder Gavin Rayburn. Rayburn co-founded Playground Games with Trevor Williams and Ralph Fulton in 2010. The studio would go on to develop five games in the Forza Horizon series, the first of which was directed by Rayburn. The team is currently working on an as-yet-to-be-announced AAA game featuring a brand new IP. And speaking of GamesIndustry.biz, Rayburn explained that Lighthouse has still has full control over its creative and publishing decisions, but that they have just sold their fucking soul to Tencent's investment and, uh, will be, and, and Tencent will be there uh, to use for re reoccurring Sorry, Tencent's investment will be used for recruitment and new technology. So, uh, shout out to these ex uh, Forza Horizon developers who have sold their soul to the devil. Um, you, you made a shitty decision, and I have no respect for you there. So, good luck on your new studio. Hope your game's good. All right, next up from VGC, German publisher Daedalic Entertainment, guys that made the Golem game following the atrocious launch of that game, have decided to end internal game development. All internal projects, including games. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings franchise have been ceased in development. They're over, it's done. Sales, marketing, publishing, they're, they're out of it. In a statement to games... Fucking European. In a statement to VGC or Games Workshop... 
Dutch. The publisher <laughs> described the decision as a difficult turning point, but also a new beginning in the long history of data entertainment. The team confirmed that 25 employees have been affected by the decision. Management said that we value each and every member of the team. It's important to us the transition goes as smoothly as possible, and therefore we will support our former employees finding new opportunities within the network. Condolences and hopefully, you know, best wishes and everything to people affected by that. That sucks. But uh, yeah, after you release a bomb like that, unfortunately, usually bad things follow. And our final story of the week, Annapurna Interactive has announced the first game to be developed by its own internal studio, and it will be set in the Blade Runner universe. Blade Runner 2033 Labyrinth is the first entirely new Blade Runner game in 25 years and will take place between the original movie and the sequel, Blade Runner 2049. Annapurna Interactive says the game will be set in a dystopian Los Angeles after the blackout hits but hasn't shared the further information on the game or if it's release date or any other teasers uh, other than a trailer that they uh, released online. The game will be directed by Chelsea Hash, who previously worked on Solar Ash, What Remains of Edith Finch, Radiohead's Kid Amenza exhibition. And uh, since the inception in 2016, Anna Interactive has been known for publishing critically acclaimed indie titles like What Remains of Edith Finch, Outer Worlds, um, Wild Hearts, and Stray. However, 2020, the company announced that they would be settling up their own internal studio, spinning up their own internal studio. And in 2022, they revealed that Hash was joining a new game studios as game director alongside new members of Solar Ash development team. So this is exciting. These guys have a really good eye for great games and have published some great games. And now we're going to get to see if maybe they got some good development chops in them. And we'll see what comes out of that. I'm actually kind of curious to see that. Can I, uh, confession time. I have read, not all of, but... I'm familiar with Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sleep, which is, of course, the American novel that inspired Blade Runner. But I have never seen Blade Runner 1 or 2. I've never watched those movies. I've always wanted to. Those have been those are movies that are at the tippy top of my uh, backlog that I've just never watched, but I would love to. So um, that sounds cool. I'd love to I'd love to see those movies. And then hopefully because I, I feel like those are movies that I'd really I'd really like. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'll love them. Um, but I just, I've just never seen them and I feel like I would really be into this game. Maybe if I were more ingratiated in that universe. So cool stuff there. Good universe to pull from, in my opinion, if you're going to go the IP route. Uh, but guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Let's round out real quick with a couple of comments, shout outs from you guys over on youtube.com. We only got a couple of them, maybe four of them this week, but, uh, you know how it works. Head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. That's at Xbox on podcast at youtube.com. And you click on the latest episode of the podcast. You can drop any comment you want. You can tell me all about how I rambled too much about pizza and that maybe more people listen to the show if I talked more about video games and less about pizza or you can say just the opposite you can say maybe more people would listen to your Xbox podcast if you spent less time talking about Xbox and more time talking about pizza to which I might call you a goddamn genius and we might have to send a whole entire ass Nobel Peace Prize directly to your mailing address which you can leave down in the comments below don't forget to leave your mailing address social security mother's maiden name routing and account number for your bank account whatever one has the most money in it that's the one we're interested in we are not going to take your money. We just want to see. We just like the way it looks. So please be feel, feel free to leave your beautiful comments. Leave, make your voices heard. And uh, also, if you're on iTunes or any of those services where you can rate and review I, uh, uh, podcasts, I really appreciate five-star review. It helps a lot. I'm trying to grow the show. Uh, I've done not a good job of making that known. And so I'd really appreciate the feedback from you guys. It helps a lot. If you are planning on, and I should say this, if you are planning on or if you are interested in leaving a review but you would not leave a five-star review, like you'd give me four and a half or four stars, 
I am, just to be completely frank, I'm not interested in your constructive feedback, so please do not write a review. I only want your feedback if you're going to give me a flawless, perfect five stars. I'm trying to change my weighted average to be very high. I want that 4.9 kind of average rating. So if anyone has any intentions whatsoever of leaving anything less than a five-star review, feel free to save yourself a couple extra minutes. Maybe go wait in line at Starbucks, get yourself a coffee instead of uh, leaving a comment on or a review on my podcast because... It would bruise my very, very, very tiny ego. So thank you very much for understanding and cooperating. Now, onto the comments. Our first one comes from Clanky1681. He says, great recap of what's going on during the injunction. Interested to hear your final recap next week. Well, hopefully next week we have a final recap. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't get it this week. You had mentioned the previous podcast that you were playing Fallout 76. Are you still playing that? Would you recommend it to others who've never played it um, now that the content is flushed out? Finished my first playthrough of New Vegas and really enjoyed it. Was considering 76 as my next Fallout adventure. Also, what if any um, Xbox, sorry, what if Xbox made a gaming phone? Something similar to the Asus or Xiaomi, uh, what they have, but tied to your Microsoft and Xbox ecosystem. People probably wouldn't buy it, but I would at least give it a shot. Okay, great comment. I love both of these questions. Excellent writing. Clanky, you are climbing up the rank of people who I think are smart, intelligent, handsome, and deserving of a Nobel Peace Prize. So if you will just leave your bank account number, your routing number, your social security address, mother's maiden name, all the rest, I'll be sure to make sure you get that Nobel Peace Prize. Now, on to your comments. Um, confession time, although I've probably said this on the podcast before. I have played Fallout 3, never finished it. I have played Fallout 4, made it to the very, very end, never finished it. I have not played Fallout New Vegas, which I know is like sacrilege, and I know it's probably the better Fallout, and I know I'll probably like it more than any of the other Fallouts. I get that. But I've not played it. So when I tell you I've played Fallout 76, just know that it's coming from somewhat of an ignorant standpoint where I don't have proper exposure to the franchise. Now, to be fair, between Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, I've played enough Fallout to where I've, I've, I've played Fallout. I know what Fallout is outside of 76. I just, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I poured... 200 hours into Fallout 3, 200 hours into Fallout 4, 500 hours into New Vegas. I know there's a lot of Fallout fans out there like that. I'm not one of those people, so just know that I have very limited experience. But in my experience playing Fallout 76 on my own, which is the way I preferred to play it, I thought it was really good. I feel like there's a ton to, a ton to experience, and if even though the game can be played with other friends and can have live service elements and you can interact with and come across other players, I felt like, for the most part... Fallout 76, at this point in time, if you're going to jump in now and just start out at this point, kind of just feels like another Fallout game. Kind of feels like you can just play it as a single-player game. You can just kind of play through main quest lines and ignore all the other shit and all the online aspects. And just, you know, if you're looking for more Fallout, and it's a long time before we get Fallout 5, I say jump into 76. I say ignore the hate. Fuck the noise. I understand the game came out in an un unacceptable state. And that disappointed, rightly so, a lot of fans. And that Bethesda took, rightly so, a lot of heat for how they released the game. I understand all that, and I'm sure it was deserved. But I played Fallout 76 for the first time, like, a year ago. And I played it more aggressively, like, four or five months ago. And as someone who's coming to the game years after the game came out, where many of the bugs and issues are fixed, and where tons of new content has been added, I can confidently say the Fallout 76 I experienced was a very fun time. I'm not currently playing it because I just got distracted, but, you know, honestly, if I could put down Persona, that's another game I could see myself dicking around in for a while before Starfield comes out. In fact, I even thought about it. I was going to go back to either 76 or maybe go back to Fallout 4 
but I thought um, better not to do that because obviously Starfield, while not a while not a Fallout game, it's a Bethesda Game Studios game, and so I'd rather have kind of a lot of distance from that kind of Bethesda experience before Starfield comes out so that it makes Starfield feel even more fresh and unique and like, oh, yeah, I haven't had this in a while. So I decided I'd rather not play Fallout right now, kind of have that distance makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing, and then jump into Starfield when it comes out and be like, ah, oh, this feels really fresh. So that's why I went the route of uh, playing something Japanese like uh, like Persona 5 or the other game I was considering was maybe jumping into y- Yakuza 4, but... No, I'm not playing Fallout 76 right now, but if you enjoy the other Fallout games, Clanky, I would, I'd say give it a go. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you decide to do so, let me know what you think. I'd be curious to know. Um, as for the Xbox gaming phone, now you're just, now you're just teasing me. Um, if Xbox made a gaming phone, I'd pre-order it. I'd buy it in a heartbeat. And if it was like one of those ridiculous phones, it's like $1,500. I would try to rationalize to everyone around me why it's acceptable for it to be priced that high. Um... I know you. T- I, I don't know which Xiaomi phone you're talking about. I don't follow Xiaomi a whole lot, mostly because their phones aren't like really readily available, um, inaccessible, and I just I don't. I'm not uh, whatever. It's just it's just one of the phone brands I haven't really followed all that closely. It's not it's not because they're Chinese or anything. I swear. It's just because I, I really don't. I haven't really paid attention. But ASUS, I know they make the uh, they make the ASUS gaming phone, the ROG, the Republic of Gaming phone, um, and those phones are fucking awesome. And yes, I. There is a part of me that's like, God, I, I really wish I could justify buying one of these things because uh, they're, they're really fucking cool with a little like display on the back where you can customize the message and stuff. God, 13-year-old me would freak out over that phone. It'd be so cool. But um, I would love for Xbox to make a phone. I don't think it necessarily makes sense, even though they are pushing for a big gaming initiative. Although, man, you can you can get me going in so many different directions with this question because... Surface finally made an Android phone a few years ago, the Surface Duo. Then they made the Surface Duo 2. I bought both of them. I loved both of them. They're janky, buggy fucking messes, but it's one of the coolest form factors. I'm holding my Surface Duo 2 right now as I record this podcast, just looking at it. I love this phone so much. Um, Personally, when it comes to Microsoft, for me, I love Xbox, but outside of Xbox, I prefer all my Microsoft hardware to be surface because i just love surface so much so i'm a lot more interested in like more surface phones than i am like an xbox phone but of course if they made an xbox phone i'd be very interested in trying it um it's just the thing is like gaming phones to me usually aren't that interesting you can do a lot with the design to kind of make them look cool i actually had a razor razor like the gaming brand razor not like motorola razor uh, i had a razor phone too the android phone that came out in what year did that phone come out that phone came out in 2018 i think uh, I had a Razer phone too for for about a year. I liked that phone a lot. That was a gaming phone. Um, I like gaming phones. I just they're they're a little bit boring. Gaming phones are basically just like Samsung Galaxy Ultras, where it's like it's big, it's a brick, it has a big battery, it has the best Snapdragon processor, it has the best graphics chip in a phone, um, and yeah, it, it can play PUBG or COD Mobile at max settings for a long time. Like that's kind of like the thing about a gaming phone. So I feel like that's basically what the Xbox phone would be, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm really into like phones that are like quirky and stupid and weird, like surface duo two, where it's a dual screen phone or like a, like a Google pixel fold or Samsung galaxy Z flip. I'm really into those kinds of phones. I just want like stupid phones that do stupid shit because to me, otherwise phones have become so boring. And I said it kind of hypocritically because earlier this year, I had an opportunity through T-Mobile to basically just get a Samsung Galaxy 
S23 Ultra for free. All I had to do was just trade in my other Samsung phone, and then it went towards my account, and I didn't have to pay anything. I even got some freebies with it. So I was like, why the fuck not? I haven't had a slab. I haven't had like a generic slab phone in many years. And actually, I've, I've never had a flagship Android phone. This is the first time I've ever had one because I've always had iPhones or Windows phones. And in the time that I've been on Android the past four or five years, I've always bought either like really budgety cheap phones just to dick around with or like really quirky, like bendable, foldy, flippy, experimental phones. So I've never had an Android phone that's just like, hey, this is like the best we can do. So I love this Galaxy S23 Ultra. It's it's so nice to have a phone, an Android phone that kind of behaves like an iPhone where I don't have to worry about it. It just does everything I need to 100% of the time perfectly and it's just smooth and fast and slick. Um but it's boring. It's it's really boring compared to, like, my Duo 2 because my Duo 2 is a piece of shit. The software sucks. But, like, God, it's so fun. I have two screens and it's razor thin and it's ridiculous. I love it. So, I don't know. Uh, I feel like Xbox phone would be – it'd be hard to, to build it in a way that differentiate it from the market. And the problem is the phone market has just gotten – it's just gotten so painfully stale. There's just no – like, what would an Xbox phone be? Would it have, like – would they build like actual physical trigger buttons into the side of the phone? So when you're holding it in like landscape mode, you can have physical triggers for like shooting kind of like the Asus Asus phone kind of a little bit has like, that'd be cool. Like, I guess you could have like the Xbox logo on the back and make it glow white or something. That'd be cool. But like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times gaming phone means like flagship Android phone, but with like edgy kind of design aesthetics. So I don't know. I would if if Xbox made a phone, my my Microsoft hardware fanboy inside me would just go nuts and have to buy one. But I don't think it would particularly be a great phone. Whereas like I don't know this this S twenty three Ultra isn't all that in a bag of chips in terms of just being unique and crazy and cool. But I don't know. I just kind of like having a phone that's like really good at all the things and just does it just fine. So I don't know. I, I'm of a, I'm of many mindsets of it, but. Uh, it's cool because the rumor is right now Microsoft stepped away from the Duo because the Duo is bombed. It's not doing very well at all. And the rumor is that maybe they're going to do a more traditional folding phone, kind of like the Galaxy Z Fold or the Pixel Fold that just came out and have it be like the new Microsoft Surface Duo, but have it be one folding screen rather than two dual screens. And then on top of that, Microsoft's apparently also interested in trying to expand their lineup of Android phones to have more variety, like a traditional slab phone, like a like a Galaxy type phone for Surface, which I would love. I would love all that shit. I would buy all those phones just straight up. I would just fucking buy one of all those phones and just have them all. Um, I would love that. But um, maybe that's where you can kind of do is have like a Surface phone that's a foldable, have a Surface phone that's a traditional slab phone, have a Surface Fold that's like a clamshell folder, and then maybe have like an Xbox phone. Like maybe that could be your lineup. But the thing is, that's very like 2010, 2012, 2013 kind of thinking back when like phones were still kind of cool and fun and creative. But I feel like Samsung and Apple have done such a good job of beating all the creativity and the fun out of the phone market that there's no space for that anymore because, and keep in mind this criticism before you get hurt, if you're an iPhone user, before you get butt hurt, this criticism is coming from the standpoint of someone who has a Samsung phone now, who has owned many iPhones, who loves iPhone, who loves Samsung, but acknowledges that between Apple and Samsung, they have just neutered the fuck out of the phone market where, and I say it mostly about Apple because at least Samsung is still trying to do fun things like make folding phones and put 
pens and styluses into their phones and do shit like that. But um, the phone market's just so lame compared to like where it was back when Windows Phone was around and the early days of Android and stuff where like you could buy ridiculous phones. It's like this phone has a little fold-out thing and this one has a QWERTY keyboard and this one like fucking has big speakers on the back and this one just looks ridiculous. Now every phone just kind of looks like an iPhone knockoff. It's like, oh, look, it's like it weighs like 400 pounds for no fucking reason and it's like six and a half inches and you can't use it with one hand and uh it's really good at everything you throw at it and it's chrome on all the sides which is kind of ugly and gaudy and it comes in like five colors but they're all basically just white and gray and i don't know i just phones have become like so disgustingly boring to me and it sucks because i love phones but i would love i would i would yeah long story short i would love an xbox phone just for the sake of adding some diversity and creativity into the market um, I would buy one in a heartbeat and I'd probably not love it as much as I love a surface phone or a windows phone. But I guess at the end of the day, what we really need more than anything is just bring back windows phone. I don't give a shit if no one buys it. I'll buy it. Listen, you'll sell at least one. I can promise you bring back windows phone. You'll sell at least one phone. Is that not enough for you? All right. Cronky writes in a little bit here with two comments and says, mm, games I've beaten the most. I'm replacing, uh, what I played the most. All wait, I'm replacing that with my most played games. So most time spent rather than most times you've beaten it. Okay. Also, uh, it's so hard to know if this is accurate, but here's my best guess. Uh, number five, Call of Duty World at War. 99% of that time was on zombies. Respect. Number four, Resident Evil 5. Nerd. Number three, Halo 3. <laughs> you gave three to three. Number two, Dark Souls 2. Nerd. Number one, Warcraft 3. Mega nerd. Uh, shout out to World at War and Halo 3. For the rest, you will atone for your sins. May I remind you, you have two Japanese games and one game that is meant for incels on your list. So please atone for your sins. Give me your banking account number and routing information, please, and thank you. Also, Kronky's second comment says, that Jim Ryan email chain is wild. I couldn't believe it was real at first. I don't understand how the whole case against Xbox wasn't just dropped the second after he read that. Um, it showed that he, even the main opposition and competition doesn't care about the deal. That is, of course, referring to the email where Jim Ryan basically says, we're not even worried a little bit if Xbox gets Activision, we'll be more than okay, uh, I believe is what he said. Yeah, man, but that's that's just how it works. Because remember, the FTC isn't, the CMA seemed, it seemed like the CMA was a little bit more like, oh, we're fucking British. We got to look out for Sony. We love Sony. They make wonderful cameras. They were a little bit more cucky towards Sony, the CMA. But with the FTC, their their whole shtick doesn't have to do really with like fair competition with Sony and stuff. It doesn't seem like the FTC really gives a flying fuck about Sony. That's not their issue. Their issue is just trying to make sure that Microsoft isn't growing too big, which, spoiler alert, too late and trying to make sure that they're not monopolizing a market, not just for Sony, but for other parties. It doesn't seem like the FTC has a particular soft spot for Sony or their complaints or their concerns. It seems like they're just more, they're just more concerned about Microsoft in general becoming bigger and getting more of the pie. So I think that's why is because in, in the eyes of the FTC, it's like, okay, well, this isn't even necessarily about PlayStation. This is just in general, more about our disdain for Microsoft and our our concern of Microsoft's growth. So maybe if that email was leaked and shown to the F, to the uh, CMA in Europe, they would be like, "Oh, oh heavens! Now we have to play Hogwarts Legacy, the only game that represents our people on the Xbox. We will." And uh, you know, because PlayStation sold themselves out or something. I don't know what to say, man. I'm just being. I just want to make fun of British people for a second, to be honest. But yeah, I don't know, man. That that's business. What do you want me to say? Everyone sucks. 
Everyone in government, everyone in business sucks. What do you want me to say? They get away with everything. Nothing makes sense, and it always works the way it shouldn't. Uh, Mike Clark has the final comment this week and says, Super Mario Wonder and Sonic will eat my October. Enjoy Remedy Games, but Alan Wake 2 can wait for a nice, fat, only digital sale. Fair and respect. Smash... Uh, oh, I almost read that as Smash Bros. <laughs> you wrote Sarah Bond, and I read it as Smash Bros. That's dyslexia for you. Sarah Bond and Phil Spencer performance uh, during the trial has been great. Bond is a stone cold killer. Hershey's is has better candy bars. Uh, these are all responses. So yeah, Hershey's has better candy bars. That was in response to my thing about Hershey being better than Nestle. I agree. As far as I could uh, have thought, seventy dollars. Other sorry. As far as I could have thought, seventy other things to spend seventy billion dollars on besides Activision. But I see making sense. But I see it making sense for an investment. Complete faith in Crystal Dynamics in developing Perfect Dark. Do not take the news with a bit of a grain of salt. They said the exact same thing about Fable. Nintendo is just a beast, and Mario Kart 8 is a living, breathing entity at this point. Incredible. Fucking Mario Kart 8 needs to be killed, if you ask me. It's time to fucking take down that beast. Uh, great show. Hopefully some good news about ABK for next week's show. Well, hopefully for next week's show, because it wasn't this show. But thank you for writing in. Yeah, I, I mean, I, mm, Crystal Dynamics, I am sure, will make a good, perfect, dark game. I just want to know what the fuck the initiative is, and if they have a future after this game. Because it really seems like this is Crystal Dynamics' perfect, dark game, not the initiatives game with the assistance of perfect of uh crystal dark dynamics what am i trying to say so i don't know that's my only like disappointment or letdown on that but otherwise i'm still excited for the game i think it will be a good game i'm sure but yeah thank you for i am mike mike clark um remember sarah bond is not super smash bros she is an executive that works at microsoft so please show some respect do not refer to her as a party fighting game that is made or i guess owned by nintendo nintendo doesn't make any of those games anymore um but anyway Thank you for writing in. Thank you all for listening. This is one of the most incoherent, ridiculous episodes we've had in a while. So I'd say we're right back to our original form in that regard. And uh, hope you guys have a wonderful week. If you are in, uh, if you're an American, if you're in the states, hope you had a wonderful Fourth of July this past uh, week, whatever it was, Tuesday. And uh, thank you all for being here. Next week, we should have a lot of information as to what happens with this Activision Blizzard deal. In fact, I'm suspecting we'll probably know Thursday or Friday, so you might know by the time you're already listening to this podcast. But we will talk about all that next week. And until next week, eat some delicious food. Maybe not Detroit pizza, but pizza in general would be a good idea. Drink a nice ice-cold Mountain Dew or water or local equivalent. And until next week, be strong and power your dreams. Oh, man, hey.